Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Tuesday, October 15th, and this is episode 14 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Skipper Ben. What's up, Ben? I got my beer ready, ready to listen to you guys bitch about Epcot. (laughs) (laughs) And the other half of you guys, the Sultan of Saki. How's it going, Josh? Hey, guys. What's up? Uh, Before we get into this (laughs) week's show... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I thought you weren't podcasting anymore. I thought you quit podcasting. I yeah, did, we can but... talk about that if you want. <laughs> uh, actually, before we get into this week's show, I'd like to acknowledge that our last episode was downloaded 3,865,744 <laughs> times. So yep. we would like to thank all of our new listeners, all 3,865,700 of you. Individually. I got bad news from the statistics company today. Our listenership over the last two weeks dropped by 100.0. I think there might have been. Remember when uh, when what's his name got fired because, or, and nobody told him about it because of the glitch? It's like yes. they fixed the glitch. <laughs> yeah, we got Milton Adams reporting our podcast stats. But we do have a, a graphic that does say we have 3.8 million listeners. So there's screenshot got that feather in our cap. Yep. <laughs> they can't take it away now. Uh, and we have made zero dollars from this podcast, so <laughs> joke's on us. Joke's on us. Uh, we've so made we're a, friendships that'll last a lifetime. <laughs> we're a few days later than we would like to be on this, but uh, Josh and I recently returned from Florida, where we spent all of seventeen minutes together uh, on a combined <laughs> vacation. Uh, meanwhile, Ben was going on a real vacation uh, in and around Europe, but we're not going to talk about that because that's probably more interesting than Josh and myself bitching. And Spoiler that alert, be, Rome burned down. <laughs> that, that would just not be in the uh, uh, in the vein well, of this show. I did go to Rome, and oddly enough, every road did lead there. It was it was crazy. Interesting. <laughs> Excellent. Just a lot of arrows pointing into the no, center. Of no, north, south, east, and west. They all led there. <laughs> How'd now, you get people- out? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so Josh, this is the first time in a couple of years, actually, you've been down to Disney world. So, um, why don't you, uh, enlighten us with some of the changes that you witnessed, and then we can kind of talk about specific things and I'm sure people want to hear us. uh, Sure. Well, there's a little bit of irony in my arrival and that as I drove on the property, the first thing I was struck by was how, how nice it looked, how well cared for everything was. And I, I mentioned this to Gary that, you know, when you, are sort of a Disney nerd and you get a lot of your information from whether it's blogs or YouTube videos or podcasts or whatever. Or www.themeparks.com. Yes, exactly. It's sort of uh, not very surprising that you would have sort of a bias toward the negative because that's what tends to get reported on. And I don't know what I really expected when I drove on a property and I thought it was going to be, you know, you know, a shanty town or whatever. <laughs> but my first thought that was that, you know, everything looked great. And in fact, the irony comes in that when I when I got to Gary's house and I was talking to him, I'm like, you know, I, I feel like I want to record a show because I feel so positive about everything I've seen, and I'm just sort of over the negativity that so many podcasters are are putting into their shows about the parks these days. And then we experienced everything that we experienced, and I was just like, shit, I'm not going to be able to I'm not going to be able to make good on my own aspirations to come out and, and have this you know overly positive experience because we did. You know, notwithstanding the fact that it was only 17 or 20 minutes, uh, that was enough to experience some some things that were definitely problematic. So, yeah. So, but initial impressions good. The parks are still a beautiful place to go. Don't get me wrong. A lot of what we're talking about is nitpicky and things that maybe won't be of a terrible concern to people who don't care about Disney. But the fact is, I don't think those are the those are our audience. 
So with respect to the group of people who I would imagine are interested in a show like this, I think the complaints and the observations we have are probably kind of down the center of what they're going to be bothered by as well. So it should be on point for them. Well, Something, I, oh, go ahead, Ben. I was going to say, I, I did listen to uh, that show, uh, the, the Kingdom cast that you were on uh, with Gary. I can't remember the nickname you called him off the air, but uh, <laughs> won't get but uh, I do want to comment that the you, you mentioned taking the road back behind uh, Galaxy's Edge and that being your first uh, exposure yeah. to that section. I did the same damn thing. I was laughing out <laughs> loud. Whatever the traffic pattern they have and the roads leading in that area are so baffling and confusing. Um I just had to throw that out there right now. If you haven't heard, you can probably sell a little bit here or, or listen to the uh, story on Kingdom Cast. But uh, getting the access to the back end of the Galaxy's Edge, uh, I, I was right there with yeah. you, buddy. The, the exit from World Drive is about 800 feet displaced from the entrance to the employee parking lot for MGM. Yes. So it's, and the employee parking lot was the old path that you used to go down. Right. So I caught it somewhat from instinct, somewhat because it had been two years, and somewhat because I was following ways to get to Gary's. Um you know, this was not an attempt at backstage exploring. I mean, anyone who, you know, anyone who's into the parks has probably just drove around on property. And occasionally, you know, you get sort of a neat perspective on something that you haven't seen, you know, a different angle from it from a public road. I'm not talking about going backstage or anything. This was not that. This was me literally after I flew a legion. So it was almost like I flapped my arms to get to Florida. I mean, it was a, <laughs> a lot of effort expended to get there. I was all I really it was an wanted. airplane. Yeah. All I wanted to do was get there. So, you know, that was my first exposure to it. I'm hoping that uh, with time and the completion of, of construction that that will get tidied up. But, yeah, right now it's so different from the way it used to be because yeah. you used to have really kind of go out of your way to find a backstage area like that. But this is just like good luck avoiding very it. Easy to go there. I, I made that mistake, uh, I think, in January. But uh, counterpoint to that, Hollywood Studios is very easy to get in and out of right now. Yeah. Coming from Universal Studios, I left the Universal parking lot and was in, or I was in Echo Lake at Hollywood Studios in under half an hour, which is hard to do, or definitely was hard to do within the last three years. So they've they've made strides to improve in and out if you actually you know go where you're supposed to go as opposed to in the backstage cast member parking lot. Yeah, and I I think those ramps and everything that lead into the new entranceway, I, I think it looks really good. Uh, yeah. you know, it, it might seem kind of simple just getting into the parking lot, but the kind of the, the over, uh, the, 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 the vantage points that you have on going some, uh, on some of those ramps and just kind of peeking in and around the parks, uh, and then leading up to the tick, you know, the gate area, it looks really nice. I want to go back to something you said, Josh, kind of about the negative t negativity that kind of surrounds neg podcasts neg like this. Negative. What are you saying? <laughs> Uh, we, we, we do spout opinions on the show and we kind of live in a world now where people get offended by your opinions with that said i don't really give a shit uh anybody that disagrees with me uh they're stupid and i hate them that's <laughs> no i mean in, in all seriousness though i mean we can we're gonna spout off negative things but we do so in hopes that it at least if you if you disagree with the opinion, we at least hopefully present an argument that supports our negativity. That's kind of how we approach these things. I, I mean, my uh, the same thing with positivity. The, to the extent that I have a role in the Disney community, which is very small, but the only thing, the only value proposition I have, I think, is that I'm honest. And mm -hmm. back when I started being involved in Disney podcast six or seven years ago. I think that was relatively rare. It just seemed mm -hmm. like at least everything that I saw was just 
uh, you know, it was completely sanitized, pure positive, almost you would think that every commentator on Disney that was out there uh, was sanctioned by the company. And to a large degree, I think they were. But, you know, the beautiful thing about podcast is that it's a platform where you can you can be honest and transparent. And I, I think there's value in that. And I don't think there's value in just pointing to something that that Disney does and saying that it sucks. That really isn't useful. But I, I think the proposition of the show and what we try to do is to say, you know, here's what the expectations were. Here's what they delivered. Here's what we have done different. And then right. there's sort of the criminology of trying to take apart why they're doing what they're doing, which as outsiders, all we could ever do is speculate at that. But I think it, it's somewhat interesting because Disney finds itself with sort of a paradox in that they can't, they can't be completely pure in pursuing what they're doing of storytelling, creating immersive worlds, because they're also this multinational multi-billion dollar corporation that has lots of stakeholders and lots of shareholders. And, you know, they're serving a lot of masters. So to me, right. it is fascinating to try and understand the degree to which they are doing a good job of finding ways to find uh, places where their goals align with those of their stakeholders and to implement those sorts of strategies in ways that, that work out. To me, that's fascinating. And, you know, you can't do that kind of analysis by just ignoring all of the things that you think don't work. So I, I view that as sort of the justification for why we do what we do. Just don't hey, be too negative. We need those press passes and free cupcakes, all right? Yeah, they're in the mail, I'm sure. <laughs> a, uh, a wholesome company or a, or a company that's intended to be as wholesome as Disney's image indicates that it is, it would not be able to be created out of whole cloth today. That just simply is not possible. I don't think at least not of the size and scope of Disney. There is yeah. quite a bit of resting on their history to allow for that. But even then uh, we would be ignorant to say that they could get away with doing the exact same things that they did 10 years ago, let alone 50 years ago. So. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think a lot of what we see is them struggling to figure out what it is that they actually should be doing today because right like it or not, what they're doing today is their history 20 years from now. And, right. you know, they're trying to economically and in a way that shareholders approve of create the sort of continued brand loyalty that their predecessors did. And to some degree, because the people who came before them were so overwhelmingly successful as to transform multiple industries, they have very big shoes to fill. And, you know, Partially, what we're just saying is that we have concerns that maybe they're not doing it, but it's it's sometimes hard to argue with revenue and with profit. And, and in that regard, at least in the short term or what they're doing now, it doesn't seem like what they're doing is having a consequence. And I think the the basis of all of our arguments is essentially that maybe this this that that is a trailing indicator and that they are, you know, in the future going to see some downturns because of the choices that they're making now. Josh, I know you've studied debate in, in a variety of different ways. But uh, when you present something like uh, looking at revenues as a barometer of success, uh, while that is absolutely a barometer of success, part of our argument has been that they could be more successful if they were to do things a different way. And right. I think I think we can objectively look at things like the creative process, the operational process, and that's primarily what the show is about, those two things, and see, all right, uh, there are always ways things can be done better, but I feel that historically we didn't Monday morning quarterback Disney anywhere near as often as we are today. And perhaps yeah, it's because we all have a platform, 
whether people are listening or not. I mean, we do have 3.8 million uh, million listeners, but whether that platform goes anywhere is kind of irrelevant. We're looking at this as our Monday morning quarterback show. So, and I look at it, you know, if you actually historically, I, I won't get too in the weeds in this because it's relatively dry and boring. But if you go back far enough in time, the view of what a corporation's role in society was was purely to maximize value for shareholders. That's mm-hmm. what they called shareholder theory. And over time, that evolved more toward what we have today, which is this sort of stakeholder theory slash corporate social responsibility. Sure. And the idea there is that the is that a way that corporations can in the long term maximize return for their shareholders is by doing a good job of serving all of the stakeholders, which could be customers, employees, vendors, uh, you know, suppliers, the local community, the, the the nation as a whole. And the idea is that it's not necessarily you know, a zero sum game. And that sometimes taking a short term loss is what ultimately is in the best interest of the shareholders, because you're serving all of these different groups very well. And as I've mentioned before, as a constituent in that group, as a stakeholder, I feel like to some degree, we have an obligation to use the platform and the technology that's available to us to give the company that feedback, not to say that anyone's listening to this show, but I don't have control over that. But what I but what we, we do have control over is trying to articulate a well-reasoned argument, um, setting forth what we think is good, what we think is bad, because at least then the company has the potential to access those data points and do something with them. If they choose not to, that really isn't something that is within our, you know, the scope of our power. But whatever, we can at least say it. And I think, you know, like I said, the the more objective and neutral and fact-based we can be the more useful that voice is rather than just saying sure. I loved it or I hated it. Although that's an opinion too. And that also has value in its own way. Okay. So, so with that said, uh, I had gone on a multitude of rants, positive and negative about some of the experiences on the trip. But uh, Josh, a lot of this stuff was things that I had seen and that Ben had seen uh, already. And that's galaxy's edge. Yep. You, uh, you arrived on the 29th, right? Yep. Uh, of it was the 30th. It was the 30th, I think. Uh, 29th, because you didn't have a ticket that day and you rode the Skyliner. If you'd like, I could write up your entire trip report for you. No, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) So my failing memory appreciates your anal record keeping. We we met up, uh, although uh, uh, you and Gary did your best to avoid me on the 29th. That was my (laughs) recollection of it. Uh, but we we did meet up and rode the ben, skyliner. For remind me to to can we have a give Tim a hug and get his self esteem up? I don't know why he <laughs> says things like this. So it's depressed. It is. I know. Man. Well, part of the uh, thing, and, and Josh, you can certainly attest to this that uh, that our beloved Gary keeps vampire and hooker hours, which uh, inhibited <laughs> Josh's Josh's ability to go to and from the parks. But on on this particular day, uh, you spent a significant chunk of time riding the Skyliner, yep. and this obviously predated the incident that the, the, the incident heard around the world. The incident, yeah. So uh, timeline for that: October fifth, uh, Skyliner has an accident. Um, I actually have a couple of quick notes that we can kind of hit it as news points. Well, let's hit. Let's cut, let's circle back to the accident, if that's okay. okay. Yes, but I want to take this somewhat chronologically because. That hadn't happened yet, so I'd okay. rather sort of explain. Okay, so so let, let's go over our that. opinions. And you rode the Skyliner more than I did, but I I was also able to uh, enjoy it with you guys on yeah. the 29th. We so. spent I spent a total between riding with you and Gary, and just Gary and I, probably two and a half hours just riding all of the lines back and forth. <laughs> and to give somewhat of a a very quick history of what our concerns about this thing were, dating back to two or three years ago when it was announced. 
I don't think Kingdomcast has a lot of breaking news, but we actually did <laughs> on that. We had a, a friend of the show who told us three and a half, maybe four years ago that these things were going in. And we responded to him basically by telling him he was crazy and that that would never happen. Um, so there's that. Um, but in any event, as soon as the official word of these things being installed came along, I was one of the very first people to say these things are not going to have air conditioning just because of the you know, issues with, with providing power to the cars. And most people responded by telling me I was nuts, either because I don't want anything about basic uh, DC circuitry or because, uh, you know, in the case of Mac, that the Disney company wouldn't be stupid enough to install something like this without air conditioning. And the speculation <laughs> kind of... That's cute, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, the speculation turned into somewhat of a, a, a wildfire within the Disney community of people saying you know, arguing about this and debating about it. And that became the yep. big topic was how hot were these things going to be? And my first ride experience basically led me to this conclusion. I think that our fears about them being a, a people cooker that was, that is causing massive chronic heat stroke were unfounded mm-hmm. for the most part. And there's a, there's a caveat here. And, uh, you know, when I said this on kingdom cast prior to, the, or when I, you know, was writing my notes before the incident happened, one of the things that I even said on on the earlier show was that a key to these things is going to be that they have to keep moving. So right. reliability on this attraction is more important than on many others because I think that there's actually a guest safety component to keeping these things moving. And you know, the only thing you can't declare a system to be safe, you can't declare a complex system to be reliable. You have to prove that over time. And we have a total now, including today, when the system reopened, about seven days of operational experience with those things, five of which they were shut down, and on one of which they had a catastrophic failure, which under identical circumstances except for where guests were loaded could have been fatal or caused a severe injury. So the system right now, I think we have to identify it as being one of high concern. Um, but I don't think that overheating in the cabins is that concern again with the caveat that as long as they have some modicum of reliability and they're not stuck in the hot summer sun for two or three hours on end. The understanding that I have, well, first off, when we, when we wrote it, we collectively said, this is substantially better than we, than we thought it was from a comfort standpoint. And it was in the nineties that day. Yeah. It was 91 when we got on, on our trip on the Epcot loop. You cited you cited this on Kingdom Cast as well. If you are going uh, in the same direction as the wind, the breeze is not as good. It's still actually better than just sitting outside, but it uh, was not as good. And when we took that turn at the boardwalk uh, turn station, it was noticeably different on uh, that particular ride. But- yeah. Most people don't have much. If for something that we've all experienced, most people don't know much about wind. Yeah. Wind is an air masses movement relative to the ground. If you take away the ground and there's no reference point, there, there is no wind. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, if you are moving at the same speed as the wind with respect to you, there is no wind. So, um, you know, and that, that's what we experience. And that, that obviously is a very variable thing that's going to be constantly changing. And it was by no means, you, you know, I, I didn't even break a this sweat. Is a, uh, this is a wasn't. joke just for Marie. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Those are always good on a podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, there is a baseball uh, or former broadcaster, Joe Morgan, a baseball hall of famer who would over explain and often mansplain things that didn't necessarily need explaining, such as Josh explaining how wind works. <laughs> well, uh, I, Ben, you may know that, that uh, Joe Morgan once explained how shadows work. So it's yeah. not quite on par. <laughs> I, I can tell you that I have as, as a flight instructor that was working at, at in a full flight simulator at Pan Am, 
uh, had many discussions with airline transport pilots with thousands of hours of flight time who did not have an appropriate understanding of how wind worked. <laughs> so I would argue that there is, to what one person seems redundant and obvious, to another is a fascinating mystery that can never I, be fully unraveled. I thought wind was just God blowing on the earth from the clouds. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so let's let's discuss the incident God. itself. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> let's discuss I, I, God. <laughs> I, I can I say I did go on a gondola up the side of a mountain in Barcelona, and they did only have uh, a couple uh, slots for uh, circulation at the very top of the gondolas, and it didn't get very hot in there. So uh, I'm going back to my beer while y'all talk about your trip report. <laughs> okay, good, good. So. The understanding that we have, some of this is rumor because Disney didn't put that much out from a, uh, a you know damage control standpoint. Uh, right. The rumor was that a spacing belt broke at the Riviera Resort. Uh, yeah, Josh, I want to talk, I wanna talk about that. that <laughs> okay, go ahead. Despite my interest in the actual inner workings of the system, I, I just want to state for the record, I really know very, very little about it. All I mm-hmm. really know is what I was able to infer from looking at it, how it's constructed. And there's some things we know. And an important thing for anyone who hasn't seen it to understand about this type of system is that it uses what's called a detachable grip car, right? And that's important because as as anyone who sees one of these systems work, you understand the cars are attached to the cable. I know it sounds like I'm over-explaining again, but hang on, <laughs> there's, there's a twist. Mansplaining you, with Josh. <laughs> when you actually go into the station, the car, the grip that holds the cable opens up as the as that grip slides over onto a rail and you are then the car is then on a rail inside the station and propelled by little tires that have DC motor or AC motors on them. And you're not on the cable at all. Okay. So each time this, each time a cabin goes through either the the stations at the end of the route or the stations in the middle where there's a turn, the thing is coming off the cable and then it goes on this rail. And then when it exits the station, it's, it's deposited back onto the cable. Right. And the reason that's important is because if if these cars were just fixed to the cable with spacing intervals, there couldn't be a collision. Right. The cable would would physically provide a means of separating them. But because they're coming on and off the cable, there is an important operational consideration, which is that the machinery or the people operating it have to ensure that the cables are uh, that the cars going into the station are then released at the end of the station so that a they're that the appropriate distance on the cable as they come out of the station and b so that you don't have a pile up of cars from the incoming traffic on the other side and what it seems like happened here is that a, as a car was transitioning out of the station from the rail to the cable it never got deposited onto the rail excuse me, onto the cable. So it was stuck at the end of the rail. And then I believe that this tire propulsion system pushed the following cars into it. That's what it looks like to me. Um, Now let's talk about the spacing belt. I can only make an assumption as to what that means, which is, and I'm going to go pure words here, that it is a belt somewhere in that mechanism (laughs) that ensures adequate spacing between the cars. And here's where I can speak from knowledge and experience. These kinds of systems have to be fail safe. They have to be designed in such a way that when you have a mechanical failure, that the consequence of that is that the equipment shuts down in a way that doesn't endanger guests and ideally doesn't endanger the, you know, the, uh, the integrity of the ride equipment itself. And, and that didn't happen. So while Disney has, well, why we have, I guess Disney didn't announce that about the separation belt that came from, from outside. 
But that to me is not good news at all. Because what it tells me is that what I would have liked to have heard is that there was a software error. There was some sensor that was installed improperly. Because as bad as that sounds, it at least creates a basis to believe that it could be corrected and that problem is not going to repeat itself. But if every time this belt fails, the consequence is that there's a collision inside the station, this system is going to be an unmitigated, unmitigated disaster and it won't outlive uh, Superstar Limo, in my opinion. There's a few things different at the Riviera station that should be acknowledged here. Agreed. That, it, this whole line, the Epcot line, by the way, deserves some attention in this regard. So every other station basically uh, just has the terminus stations. And by that, Correct. The, the, the end of the lines. The Riviera station on the Epcot line is the only line or only station that is in the middle of a station. And it, it also, turn, and it creates like a probably 120 degree bend in the line. I also believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that this station doesn't have a dedicated load area for ECV. That I don't know. I, I believe that to be the case. If I'm mistaken, I apologize. No, you're honest- right. You're right. Because at the, at, the, at the end stations, there's actually a secondary loop of rail that has uh, dedicated cars that could be put on and on. This, this one definitely doesn't. This was a okay. completely linear station. So, so with that said, effectively what happens if they're loading an ECV onto this line, they, they have to slow or stop the entire line that Epcot is on. And yes, right now the Riviera station doesn't get a whole lot of traffic because it's just people staying at that wing of the Caribbean beach. But uh, when the Riviera resort opens, it's entirely likely that this uh, causes major disruptions, excuse so me, on the Epcot line. What you said is not necessarily true. Okay. That station probably has a capacity of 15 to 20 cabins. Okay. Right. So depending on how many are in there, essentially repre- the difference between how many it can hold. Okay, it doesn't have to are- stop the line. I know where you're going with this. It, it yeah. could not. It could potentially not even have to slow it down. The okay. issue is just whether or not they can dispatch cabins out of that station at a rate that is equal to or greater than the rate that they're coming in. Mm-hmm. Right. So if there's an excess capacity in that station of, let's say, eight gondolas, then they can they can run in arrears, basically. They can run in a deficit of cabins to where eight come in before one is dispatched, before that station becomes full. But once that station becomes full and there's no more room to take cars off the rail, off the ca- uh, off the cable and onto the rail, at that point, they have to stop the line. So, uh, so one would expect that prior to getting there, they would slow it down so they never reach that point. In the time that we rode that line, and t- correct me if you disagree, that line seemed to be constantly slowing down and frequently stopping. Uh, I didn't feel uh, when I was on it that I don't think I had a full ride stop. Okay. I think we did on the way back to, to the station from Epcot. Uh, if it was, it, was, it wasn't prolonged. No. But, but anyway, to that, to that point, because this is a pass-through station, uh, this, in theory, is maybe not the, the only station that could have this problem, but the most likely station to have a problem like this. Would I, you I would agree, agree with that. With that. Okay. I think it is a almost guaranteed bottleneck. Okay. So, so because of that, the, the public information that Disney put out there did seem to indicate that there might be user error here and maybe not necessarily a mechanical error. They didn't outright say either one, but they mentioned training and, uh, the other issue that's related to this is people were stranded on these for three hours and thankfully it was at night. But the rumor that I had heard was that a call to 911 from a cabin led to the additional delays. And 
I don't know what the uh, rules of engagement are for um, uh, for local uh, Reedy Creek police and fire uh, relative to Disney's evacuation procedure, but I assume that uh, any actual uh, fire department would take precedent over whatever Disney wants to do to evacuate the line. If there's a 911 call, that's going to take precedent and probably disrupt things. So it's my, hard to imagine that the, what the that the fire department wouldn't want the person to be brought to the station as quickly as possible. I mean, you would think you would want the quickest access to them, right? If let's say it's an you know an acute medical emergency, time is the thing you're worried about. It's, right. hard, so, it's almost hard for me to imagine a situation where a call could go to dispatch and the most time responsive thing to do is to shut the system down, bring a rescue vehicle out and pluck them out of the sky. I don't, I don't want to go. I'm assuming everybody that's listening to this is well aware of what happened. There were three cabins, uh, one of which got stuck, two kind of collided into it, pushed it, broke the glass of one of them. One of those cabins ultimately was pulled off the main line into like a service spur. And from there, they were able to slowly bring the rest of the cabins to the next station and unload them. Uh, I imagine that is probably going to be the path of least resistance for any evac in the future. Yes. But there was at least one cabin evacuated with a cherry picker or an equivalent. And that process does not seem to be remarkably efficient or safe. And as weather kind of rolls in and weather is probably going to be, hopefully, the only issue in the future for this, that is not the means of getting people out of that quickly. And sometimes you don't have the full 12 minutes of the Epcot line to get people off of the line uh, when weather rolls into Florida. So uh, that is at the very least some cause for concern. And then the other component to this is they've, they're opening it for uh, October 14th and 15th, and then they've got limited openings on the 16th, 17th, and 18th as they do additional service on the line, which has me concerned just on a general principle standpoint. This is something that was open six days before having an accident. What's what's the need to have it open on the 14th and the 15th rather than just waiting an additional five days while all of the operations are done? It just seems... It, it doesn't... It, it's a hard thing to get your head around in a way that makes any sense. I can't think of a plausible explanation. I And honestly, this sound... Here's a negative thing. I'm not sure that there is one. I think at this point... I'm willing to believe that it's just a poor operational decision, but I, I, I'm not sure of that. I don't have any evidence one way or the other, but based on what I've seen, this was a botched opening. Yep. And it, it, it seems to continue to be one. They got to get it open because think of how many people's vacations are going to be ruined if it's not <laughs> open the 14th and 15th. I think the vacations are going to be ruined when they're stranded on there for three hours. Ruined. Do we have any confirmation on how many people use the bathroom in those three hours on those gondolas and were they <laughs> thoroughly cleaned afterwards? Because, man. Three hours. Yeah, that, that's gonna be that's gonna be rough. And I, I saw really if it's only had an airline. Once the first person peed, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the most part, everything we got on here was anecdotal, and in many cases, some of those have been called into question. Where we've got some people that are opportunistic that want to be inserting themselves into the into the victim field, saying, "I was on the gondola that uh, uh, that was crashed into," and Disney has put it out there saying that these were empty. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm inclined to believe Disney here. I, I hope that they wouldn't lie about that. I, I believe they were empty. I yeah. But by all accounts, it seems that at least one guest was taken to uh, the hospital, if nothing else, for observation. Nobody died. There have been transportation accidents here. Uh, my recommendation is that it is an enjoyable system, but I would absolutely wait until after October 18th to ride it. Um, I would wait yeah, for whatever service is going on. 
And I suspect it's probably related to the communication in the uh, in the gondola itself. That's my guess that they're updating something there so that they can better communicate with people and tell them to not call nine one one because that was uh, a big criticism of people that were on there saying that they were just getting the same generic. Uh, we're going to be starting anytime, and they were stuck up there for three hours. Use so, the note. Use the notepad to write a note to nine one one. Yeah, that'll help. Send an airplane. <laughs> in general, though, prior to the incident, I had positive uh, opinions on this. I, yeah, I did enjoy it. Again, operational issues aside, I think the collective criticism we had are that we prefer being in the gondolas that don't have the character wraps on them because you can see better. Um, I actually like the look of the character wrap ones from the view that we had, but from like the view out of the gondola, I'd prefer to not have a character wrap on it. Yeah, my theory on that, and Gary mentioned this on the Kingdom Cast episode, that there's, there's three vehicle liveries, if you will, or finishes. They're ones that have the character wraps on them. Yep. There are also ones that have the wrap material on them where there's not characters printed on them. And then there's ones that don't have any wrap on them at all, except for a little strip at the bottom and the top. And it is remarkable what a big difference there is in terms of how well you can see. And I suspect there's also a pretty big difference in how much sunlight gets in. So I almost think that maybe the justification or the reason for the wraps being there was to prevent them from getting hotter than that. Probably. That's a good point. Sunlight. So if it's a real hot day, maybe you choose the one that's got a wrap. I don't know. Um, but if what you're after is if you want to take a video, if you're really interested in shooting photography out of these things, definitely wait for a gondola that doesn't have the wrap because it is not an insignificant difference. It's a big, right. big difference. So that that I, I have not got to ride these. I was there during testing and, uh, you know, the, the kinetic energy that it brings uh, to the area, just the movement and, and just the visuals are is it's very cool. And, and, and uh, uh Looks awesome, in my opinion, with the, when when they're running like they're supposed to be. But it, like you just said, waiting for certain gondolas, waiting for ones with the wraps, without the wraps. Like, what's the situation in the load and unload stations where you can request uh, specific uh, gondolas to get in? Is it are they moving you through so fast that they just want you to get on the next one, or do you have some say? Uh, I think it's going to be very dependent on workload and on an individual cast member. Because we requested pretty much every time one without a rep. And we had some cast members that even when they were busy, they were super gracious and eager to help. Uh, We encountered one cast member that despite the fact there was literally nobody behind us in line at all, (laughs) like no one there. And she's like, oh, we can't accommodate individual requests at this time. It's like, okay. Like she just didn't want to, you know? (laughs) So I think your mileage is going to vary on that. Let's uh, move away from the Skyliner unless you have any more points on it. One point I had was that, uh, for anyone who ever rode in the monorail back in the day when you could ride in the cockpit, um, one of the things that you got that is a unique experience is a view from a transportation system out the front. And and that's a nice thing about these gondolas is that you have that. You don't just have that 90-degree view out the side window. Not that these are the most picturesque views on property. They're not. They're not as good as the monorail, you know, go around Bay Lake. But they are nonetheless, it's an interesting perspective. You're going to see things that you've seen before from, you know, from a new, literally from a new altitude, from a new perspective, and it's neat and it's fun. And I think, I think it's absolutely, it's an add to the park in terms of an attraction with the asterisk on it that it might kill you. Um, I was going to say, you got that, you got that view until somebody dies and then they take it away from us. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and I, I'm legitimately concerned about this now. And I feel like my concerns have gone one from ones that were abstract and not based on any experience to ones that are 
you know, based on reality. And I've, I've been there and seen the thing. Another thing I do want to mention before I move on, I'm going to sneeze. Can you take this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You have That's, a mute button. Oh, yeah. That's staying in the we're, show. We're keeping that because you don't use the mute button. The thing is that every time I sneeze, <laughs> I have an orgasm. So I've been snorting pepper this whole time. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, uh, that that day, actually, I had met with my uncle who wanted no part of going on them. He just didn't trust the idea of it. And this this was well before, not well before, six days before uh, the, the incident. But he's a wise um, old coot. Yes, yes. All right. Why don't we move away from the Skyliner? No, no. Uh, I had one more thing I wanted to talk about. God then. damn it, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. So prior to the incident. There was an observation I made about this thing that gives me concern, and that is the challenge of actually getting into it. Okay. So for anyone who's ever been to Epcot or uh, Disney back in the 80s, the, the one expression that I know you got burned in your head is that the loading platform is moving at the same speed as your ride yeah. vehicle. And there's a good reason for that. It makes it really easy to step into the vehicle without tripping. And I was there with Gary, and we were on a station where the vehicle was moving across the loading platform from left to right. And he's left-handed, and most people, I think, who are left-handed, and you know, you you tend to step into something with the same foot as your dominant hand. And he stepped into this thing with his left foot, and he did what a normal person would do when you have a challenging step through a narrow door. He slowed down, mm-hmm. and the consequence of slowing down was when he planted his left foot in the gondola. Its forward motion essentially crossed his left leg over his right leg, so that when he then took the next step to finish getting in. He kicked his left foot from out, out from underneath him, and he almost fell. Um, and I was kind of laughing at him, and and you know, partially <laughs> being interested naturally, you know, about how I, I was also sort of intrigued by this. And then I almost tripped. And as as we <laughs> continued to ride, I saw a lot of other people do the same thing. So there's there's a little bit of a tricky step under this thing. I don't think it's you know a huge deal, but I think that they're doing a very poor job of actually uh, giving people warning about what it is you really need to step into it quickly and you'll be fine sure. but but that's exactly what old people won't do and it's exactly what people with a with a hip injury or something won't do they're gonna they're gonna slow down and they're gonna find themselves in this precarious position of you know essentially having you know one foot on the proverbial dock and the other foot on the boat so i i think there's there's some risk there and if i were in a lost or you know a, a risk mitigation role at that company i would be very concerned about amping up the degree to which they're warning guests about that because especially now because they've sort of lost the benefit of the doubt after this incident oh, absolutely. the last thing they want is somebody's grandma taking a header and this thing getting dragged down the platform so i think they really need to up the game it's hard to overstate in my opinion what a catastrophe this was this was a real failure and they have a lot of egg on their face and they need to do a damn good job of making sure that this system fades out of the news cycle completely for as right. long as possible. Why could we just extend the people mover all over property? Jesus. You know, Gary said the exact same thing on Kingdom Cast. People mover moves at the same speed as the uh, turntable that it loads on. And yep. that's something where I'm, I don't know definitively, but I, I'm guessing that Doppelmeyer has a version of this that has a load platform that moves with the, uh, they could have done it, you know, the, you, and, and the thing I never really appreciate, I mean, at some point you have to step from the stationary earth onto something that's moving, right? I mean, that's sort right. of intractable, but the fact is stepping onto a four foot wide walkway or, or a 15 foot wide, uh, rotating platform is much, much easier 
than stepping through an extremely narrow doorway on one of these gondolas. And this thing, it's a shearing motion. It's moving 90 degrees from the direction of your step into it. There's no angle at all. Right. So right. Th- that's that's the challenge. And I, I, I think this thing is going to be... I think we're ultimately going to have had the right answer for the wrong reasons. My my suspicion, I'll just put it down here now. I think this thing is going to be a perpetual pain in the ass for them. I, I don't think it's going away in, a, in, in terms of going out of the news cycle. So you're going to put this in as they will not be expanding this anytime soon. I don't think they're going to be expanding this anytime soon. Okay. In so fact, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we see a major revision to the Epcot line up to and including uh, eliminating the uh, state, the, the Riviera station, it, it, maybe even leaving it as a turn, but, but, and this would be terrible for them because one of the things that they want for this thing is to turn those resorts into one that's on a, you know, yeah. desirable transportation line. But I, I would be willing to bet good money that there's already a conversation about what that's worth, because I suspect that is going to be the most significant bottleneck in the system. And, and we've now seen that the the cost of that bottleneck is not slowdowns. The potential cost of that bottleneck is tragedy. So they're going to be selling people on the Riviera resort on the heels of the Skyliner. And I, I, I got to imagine this is already going to be affecting sales. Absolutely. So moving away from that, uh, the 29- uh, I got, well, I got one more thing on the gondola system. <laughs> Couldn't hate you more right now <laughs> on the 29th. Uh, I saw the penultimate, uh, uh, illumination show i uh, met um one of our uh, one of the kingdom cast listeners i don't know if he uh, is a fan of this show but he's at least a fan of the kingdom cast so he likes josh uh, <laughs> joe spent some time with him watching that and subsequently uh, he joined me on the final illuminations because josh and gary were too cool to do that as we well were as there i don't know what you're talking about we just didn't get there five <laughs> hours early like a noob so uh <laughs> so so let's let's move on to the 30th where uh, the original plan, and I'm going to say this with all intended spite uh, that I can, was... <laughs> That's a hell of a was, disclaimer. ...was for all of us, uh, Gary, Josh, and myself, to uh, to meet up at Hollywood Studios and uh, go through uh, Galaxy's Edge. So I knew full well that the likelihood of Gary being out of bed at or near rope drop was just not going to happen. So I had my morning fast passes and did my thing there and kind of waited as late as possible to go into Galaxy's Edge. But uh, what time, Josh, did you guys finally make it into Hollywood Studios that day? I don't remember the exact time. I want to say it was around 3 p.m. Uh, I think you can bump it back an hour. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was still there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, something two, three, four. I don't know. It was afternoon. <laughs> yes. And I could say this is – I'm glad that we're at this part of the show now because I have a lot of positive to say about the uh, the experience okay. of walking into the land. It is magnificent looking. It, it's everything that I like in a well designed theme park land. In it, and one of those things that's really important to me that I that always sort of gives me awe is just the appearance of tremendous scale. And I think they absolutely nailed that here. And I should say again, I've said it a million times. I'm not a Star Wars fan. I really don't give a shit. They're fine. I don't hate them. I'm not like, you know, one of these people who's like, <laughs> you know, Picard forever, fuck Luke or whatever. But um, it's just, I'm, I'm indifferent to this. Well, that shirt so to me, this is just, it, to me, well, you know, we're having problems with them after my, uh, my star, uh, my uh, Skyliner parody t-shirt was pulled down within 11 hours by the Walt Disney company or by someone, <laughs> I guess I don't know who did it, but no sense of humor over there. I took the Skyliner logo and I photoshopped three cars <laughs> smashing into it from behind. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was I amused. That was clever. <laughs> so, you know, the land, the impression of walking into the land, uh, amazing. Like, it looks really, really good. I had the uh, play app on my phone. Uh, I took a good deal of time sort of hacking doors and trying to start ride vehicles or not ride vehicles, but the, you know, display vehicles. <laughs> Can you work on the Skyliner from the app? <laughs> Yeah, I did. <laughs> I actually hacked them for the resistance. You know, I think that that app is an important part of the land because if it's, I think this land is a little bit different than any other Disney land in that it requires a little bit of buy-in beforehand by guests in order to get the most out of it. Um, specifically that app, because the difference in amount of time that you can spend being at least moderately entertained is going to go up dramatically if you're engaging with what's there, as opposed to if you're just walking by. And you know what? Have also would have helped that and having two rides open. I, I well, look, <laughs> I I'm on record for that. This yes. again, botched opening. I mean, that that's the you know the. I think I, my suggestion for the show title the last time we had this conversation about Galaxy's Edge was, was that we should call it unforced errors, and I, I I stand by that. I mean, they they've the company has really subjected themselves to some bad press unnecessarily and i i think heads will roll and i and i think they should i think this is there's a pretty poor decision making that was made here and i don't know the there might have been strong forces on the people making these decisions to do what they did but history has told us that they weren't the right ones i think it was cockiness that's my we've discussed that at nauseam but i think it was I, i would never argue that ego is you know uh a very strong force and there's not many if you study you know aerospace nuclear industrial accidents uh, you know, narcissism and hubris is a constantly cited cause of them because people just yep. get so proud of themselves that they assume whatever they touch is going to turn out fine. But in any event, the, the walking in the land was great. If you don't have the app, I would suggest you do it. Just try it. If you got kids, have them download the app because their faces are going to be buried in their phone anyway. You might as well have them engaging with the place that you're spending a metric shit ton of money to be. Yeah. Um, so, so that would be my suggestion. It's, it's just, cheaper than a lightsaber. Cheaper than a lightsaber. You know, you got your data. And I actually, here's an interesting bit of marketing I think Disney screwed up. When you walk into the land, there's a little sign that says you can interact with things here using your data pad. Mm-hmm. And that that's sort of a cutesy reference to your phone, your smartphone. And I, I think they screwed that up because I think there's a very high percentage of guests that are walking in, in there thinking that a data pad is something that you have to buy. And they're right, not. Right, exactly. You know, that to, that to me, of all the, the Disney finally gives something away for free ish and they and they make it sound like they're charging you for it. So I, I think you got to spell it out for for the lowest common denominator in a situation like that. I get being cute, but at the same time, you're going to miss a significant market share. There's a lot of people who don't know how wind works and who don't know that a data pad is their <laughs> smartphone. That's the hill that I'm willing to die on here. Tonight. Does yeah. does the app interact with the droids that are freely roaming around the area? Or I don't think so, but I couldn't speak to that definitively. Gary would be a better I was being very sarcastic. <laughs> well, but the droids can inter- interact with you based on what you do in the app. So Not the free it, roaming ones because those don't exist. Yeah, the free roaming ones and the uh, the the actors in the uh, bars that are gonna. Hey Ben, can you explain to Josh how wind works, please? <laughs> See, God is in the clouds. No, but you can blow me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to the question that Ben didn't ask, my understanding is you can interact with some of the droids that are like in front of Droid Depot and get yep. them to turn their heads and that sort of thing. 
Because I thought Gary had had said that one came up to him and and commented that he was working for the resistance or something or or, or mentioned his rank. I, I could be wrong there, but, but so there there are scanners in the land that uh, cast members can use to kind of uh, scan nearby magic bands and objectively not objectively, definitively say like, all right, this person screwed up the Falcon or this person has been playing the play app and comment accordingly. But it doesn't happen all that often. Okay. But there are those and, types of scanners, and that's my guess is what. But that is a next level experience, and that's part of the promise we got from my Magic Plus back in the day. So I'm, right. it, it is good to see that coming to fruition. In some and Gary, Gary was referencing the real doll in his bedroom that was asking him <laughs> yes, about that. Yes, yes. Why you got a real doll of Doc Ondor, I have no idea. <laughs> big teeth on that thing that's not really pleasant at all so so josh <laughs> that as quickly as i can we're earning that explicit tag tonight <laughs> yes, yes uh so you said the experience of just kind of the scale of it walking into it did you walk in the from, from the muppet side yeah okay um so you walked in from the muppet side you kind of it, it is almost like a slow build there too especially now because rise of the resistance isn't open so it's just kind of a, like a relatively quiet path as you right. lead into the busier marketplace. What was your thought on the shops, any food you ate, uh, and just kind of the environment of that marketplace area itself? So I had a Ronto wrap, and okay. I liked it a lot. Now, I will admit, I was really hungry when I ate this thing. <laughs> but it was satisfying, and I enjoyed it. And I, I'm a pretty staunch hater of most food on Disney property. I mean, okay. for, for a guy who loves to eat and loves Disney so much, I hate their food, you know, generally speaking. Epcot being an obvious exception, uh, you know, Cali Grill, some of the higher end restaurants I like a lot. But as far as like food you actually get in the parks, I'm generally disappointed. Um, and I would say that MGM's sort of on the list with Epcot ma- with me now, which is that's a place I'd go when I'm hungry because I thought it was I thought it was excellent. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that I, far, but Galaxy's Edge does have good food. Yeah. I really want to try the wrap. They look delicious to me. Yeah, no, very, very good. They're good. They're they're messy, but they're good. Mine had good structural integrity. It didn't really, uh, unlike the Skyliner, it didn't fall apart when I tried to use it. Uh, <laughs> Did you collide it with other Ronto wraps? <laughs> I only had the one, but okay. yeah, no, I would say you know four four and a half out of five there. No complaints okay. at all. A uh, little pricey, but whatever. I, I expect that at a place like that, so I, I don't have any real negative to say. Did about you it. buy any merchandise? No. Did you try any specialty beverages? No, I'm. I don't need to take colored milk into my mouth to know that I hate it. Okay, <laughs> that is. It's just not for me. And again, here's okay. one of those things where I'll just point out. It's yes, it's my opinion. There has to be some threshold of visual appeal for me to eat something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? High school girlfriend. <laughs> um, wow, and, uh, that was way below the threshold. That so. escalated quickly. <laughs> Did you have to you say got? high school? <laughs> I was in high school too. It's not a felony. Just okay. <laughs> hey, look, the FBI is here. <laughs> so I know you also went on Smuggler's Run. Did you? Uh, how many times did you go on Smuggler's Run? Uh, one time. Okay. What role did you have? I was the right pilot. Okay. And I, you, I have a lot of thoughts. He loved you, how realistic the controls were. <laughs> did you go through uh, any aspect of the queue? Did you go single rider? How did you guys? We Come went through the queue. It, we went through the um, fast pass queue. Okay. Or not fast pass queue, but the, you know, we had a return time what, queue. What will be the fast pass queue? Yeah. Uh, using uh, disability pass. 
totally dug the queue. Thought it was really, really well done. I thought the entrance to the ride was done. I don't care that the thing's outside and we're going to go ride it. BFD, g- got news for you. You're not in space. You're in Orlando, and which technically is on the Earth with is in space. If you don't understand that, go ride Spaceship Earth. You know, I don't care about that. That didn't that doesn't shatter my uh you know suspension of disbelief there's kind of a narrative of that where like the ship comes into the scene behind um yeah exactly i thought that scene was really good all of it i mean just phenomenal execution you know i think every once in a while you need the palate cleansing sorbet of going to a six flags park just to see how lesser organizations do these kinds of rides you know go on a dark ride at a place like that this is this is not a little better than what the competition is doing. If you exclude Universal, uh, you know it's light years better. Now you get the Universal, you got problems. There's did you see what he did there with light years? <laughs> <laughs> Look at me accidentally making clever Star Wars puns. <laughs> I just wanted to know how realistic the uh, tarp over Hondo looked. Uh, no tarp over Hondo. Oh, he, well. was, he he was functioning. Now, for it to be light years better, how much coaxium did you need in order to substantiate <laughs> that? I whenever I hear coaxium, I think of X body spray. And I, I think enough. it's really funny to think that that's what people are smuggling into like across <laughs> the universe. <laughs> it's a precious, uh, precious item. It is. Alien chicks love it. Okay, so you you kind of led up to the uh, w- the ride with nothing but positivity. Yeah. So yeah. let's go from there. Okay. I enjoyed the ride as an experience. Getting into it, it reminded me very much of of you know full flight simulators, which I've taught in. For those of you don't know, I and this is going to be relevant. I. Most of my adult career, I was a pilot. I flew all kinds of things, airships, little light aircraft, corporate jets, fighter jets. I've flown a lot of different things. And that's sort of relevant because this thing gives the impression of being a flight simulator. And for anyone who hasn't been on it, the way that they chose to break up the controls in this system is the pitch is controlled <laughs> by the left pilot. So the up and down, all right, for Tim. Because <laughs> I don't want to dance by this too much. The, the, the this way and that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's very that's very distinguishing from the other one. And the right pilot controls the uh, pitch, the up and down. Okay, I don't know. I might have said that backwards. Left is roll, right is pitch. So I was on the the side controlling pitch, and I would describe it as being so unresponsive that it literally, and I'm I'm not exaggerating here. I promise. When the thing was over, I looked at Gary and I said, I don't know if mine was working. I, I really never <laughs> felt like I was actually in control of the thing. So from that perspective, if the if the idea is that I'm going to walk out of this feeling like I've flown the Millennium Falcon, then it failed because I don't feel like I was – I feel like if anything, I was making a very minor uh, input to the pitch of this thing, which is not the experience that you want at all. And I And I've – I'm friends with an Imagineer and I who actually heard my comments on the first episode and he agreed with me and said that during playtesting they had they basically found that the typical person off the street wasn't capable of controlling the thing in any meaningful way when the sensitivity was higher so they basically dialed it back to where it is now and I'll, I'll make the same appeal on this show as I did on the last one if anyone with any power to affect this is listening You've got to turn that sensitivity up if you want anybody to have a sense that they've flown this thing. I mean, I, I've There's got to be a button for the pilot, much in the same way you have it for the gunners, where you can modify how how sensitive you want it, basically. Where the default is the low sensitivity, but if you know what you're doing to a certain extent, 
uh, that you can at least have a little bit more flexibility. With I it. would say the setting that it's on now should be outside the range of that adjustment. Th- this is. You this haven't is, been on with somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. And I, I say that. True. With, so, so perhaps maybe not have that be the default, but have that be an option. I guess. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how we did. I feel like our score wasn't that good. Um, but it's like saying there are bad pilots in the world, so we're going to disconnect the flight controls in the cockpit. That creates except its this isn't a real plane. Set of problems. <laughs> no, but I mean, if the if the goal is to complete it successfully, I, and, and the suggestion I made on Kingdom Castle, I'll, I'll just reiterate. I think they should combine the pitch and roll controls and separate the throttle and have okay. that be its own position. Have the light speed be a, be a thing along with regular throttle and put a, like a Z axis motion where you have to speed up or slow down as part of it. And there's, there is a braking scene in there behind the bus where you got to hit the brake. So there there's to me, they, they really just screwed this up and it's almost like they didn't consult with anyone who's ever flown anything. They basically have three positions, but six people doing it, and that's part of the problem. That but you could divide to, the flight controls in a way that doesn't reduce the number of people that have something to do, and you can make it better for all of them. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, you can make a, a similar criticism for the gunners as well, where having two gunners is redundant. Yeah, I think that position, based on everything I've heard from anyone who's done it, is that's the worst position on the ride. That's my opinion, yeah. I mean, some people like just the novelty of shooting uh, guns off of the Millennium Falcon, which I get, mm-hmm. but uh, for me, engineer was a, was a better position, but anyway. yeah, if I could go ride it again, that's the position I would do. And I suspect, I, I guess it's possible that someone with no flying experience might get in that and be fine with it. But I, you know, you don't have to be a pilot to sense a lack of response. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if you got in a, a car driving simulator, you're not a professional race car driver as far as I know, but if you turn the wheel and nothing happened or it happened, you know, very disproportionately to your input or, or very lagged from your input, you would be like, your sense is that it's broken, right? You want to, you want to raise your hand and say, come here. My thing isn't working. It's like on Jeopardy when they're always like, my button's broken. It's like, well, there are pills you can take for that. I think there are (laughs) things that we have to, we're assuming that everybody is going in here at expert level. And you have to recognize there are people that go on mission space that at the end feel that they are controlling that landing process. You're not? They're absolutely not. No, sorry, Ben. What the? Where you, you, you get people that there is a level of interactivity on a, an attraction like that where people think, all right, I am controlling and, and coming in uh, coming in a little too hot and they uh, they govern it as such. And then they go on it the second time and by the third or fourth time they figure out what's actually happening here. See, right. what, what you're saying to me is that's the position I want my daughter to sit in when we ride that ride since it doesn't seem to affect things too much and I'll get on the other side. I'm putting my brother in a left pilot seat, which I think is the most important seat in the, in the cabin, just to see what happens. From, from what I've heard, that's right. Um, the yeah. person who is an Imagineer uh, told me that that one still functions in a useful way. So, Yep. So... <laughs> Yes, it's not a flight simulator, but uh, where would you say put it relative to say Star Tours? Do you like it better or worse than Star Tours? I, I would say it's definitely better than Star Tours for me, okay. um, just because I might have controlled it. <laughs> I definitely didn't control <laughs> Star Tours. Um, no, I think it's better, um, okay. and, and that, I think part of that is I don't care about the franchise, right? So a Fair lot enough. of the novelty of Star Tours, a lot of the payoffs there are geared toward an audience that isn't me, which is going to be sort of the thesis for the rest of the show as we talk about Epcot. Okay, five years from now, and they haven't changed the mission on Millennium Falcon, which is the better uh, attraction, the more appealing attraction to go on Star Tours or 
or smugglers. That that would be a same problem. for me. I th- I think that uh, to to Ben your your question, this was something that was presented with multiple options uh, yeah. at the outset, and I I hope that that happens. But I also fear that let's say the rise of Skywalker continues the trend of people almost feeling like Star Wars is no longer important to them. And there's a massive drop off in viewership of that relative to the first two movies in the uh, sequel trilogies. Uh, I could see them just saying, all right, this is something we put a bunch of money into, but there's no need to put any additional money into it because it's not driving attendance. But uh, I'm hoping that come December, uh, there is a total 180 that Rise of the Resistance picks up and that this is uh, an excellent secondary attraction for the land, which is what it was always intended to be. I did have higher expectations than what it was, but if both attractions opened, we've said this time and time again, at the same time, the criticisms for Smuggler's Run would be far less than they are because it's trying to anchor the, the land yep. right now. Yep, I think that's exactly right. So uh, moving away from Hollywood Studios, I was camping out at Epcot for a good three hours trying <laughs> to uh, save a spot for uh, for Gary and Josh. Tim is an excellent communicator. We knew where he was. That's that's yep. for sure. Why didn't yep. you just buy tickets to Corliss's dessert party? Uh, so that was the, uh, more on that later, actually. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so this is on September 30th at this point. Uh, I made friends with a uh, uh, listener, Joe, and uh, Josh and Gary. I believe you said you strolled into Epcot at 848. Yeah, that's uh, about that right. Night, Plenty of time uh, for, uh, for the nine o'clock illuminations. The uh, last I was saving, illuminations, which was a, was, a, a basis for my trip, by the way. I was uh, I was saving spots for you to the extent that I could uh, for as long as I could, and our spot was getting progressively worse as the three hours <laughs> went on. I taller imagine. and taller people uh, got got in front of us. <laughs> I think you ended up about forty to fifty feet behind us when all was said and done. Yeah, but uh, we watched it from kind of the same perspective. Are you glad that you got to see the... I mean, this is uh, the easiest slam dunk question. Are you glad yes. you got to be there for the final show? Well, no. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, we were there for the last day of Maelstrom. You know, the, look, this is because I'm an Epcot nerd. You know, did it really matter? Was the show different? No. There wasn't even a tag. It was mm-hmm. Illuminations. There was... I wasn't like, oh, I've never noticed that before. It was the same experience that I've been having for so many years. Uh, but yeah, I'm absolutely glad I was there. Uh, I've always liked that show. I, I think it was a, as I've said before, to me, it's a, a great piece of ephemeral art that they created every night at nine o'clock. Um, I think it's something that everybody who produced that should be proud of. I have more respect for it now after seeing Epcot Forever than I than I did even before. Um, I think it was a masterpiece, and yeah. I'm really glad that I got to experience it as many times as I did. Uh, you know what else to say? I'm not going to break down crying here, but uh, you know, to me, <laughs> please that do, was a, please do. It'd be great. It'd be a great pod. That, that was a show. That was a show that I think represented the fact that the people who created it understood the setting in which it was displayed. It's this grand, impressive spectacle of a place, and the show live up to that. in, in terms of its you know, you could even say maybe it was it was over the top. Fine, whatever. A lot of productions are, but it was it was dramatic and it was big and it was worthy of being in that three hundred acre uh, place that Disney built, and and that is something that I will miss. The criticisms, and again, we got to go on the negative. Here. 
for illuminations have always been that the earth globe was difficult to see and the middle yep. portion was was dull and boring i agree uh, i i will I, I will make the argument against that that your non disney fireworks show are often poorly paced and just a steady stream of fireworks for 10 to 12 minutes and then a finale mm-hmm. with no real logical story. And in the case of illuminations, I think the majority of guests don't understand that there is a three part story there that takes right. place. But even if you don't consciously know that it's going on, if you're paying attention at all, there is a progression to that show. It has peaks and valleys that are logical and well thought out. And by no means was I expecting anything like that. I'm getting ahead of myself here for Epcot Forever. I expected Epcot Forever to be a tribute to uh, to Epcot for you know the, the normal 12 to 15 minute fireworks show thing with no real story. We expected it as we discussed last show to kind of well, be a clip show. Don't forget about her, don't forget about Illumination. So I didn't finish that thought. No, 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 no. I I, I know. So I'm I'm going back to Illumination. I just kind of wanted to. Uh, differentiate the two here that illuminations did follow a progression and i i very much dislike the premise that people have that a fireworks show should be uh just steady fireworks the entire time that there's no progression of story and when you get to something like that that's uh just pure frenetic there's no there's no build up to anything and i think illumination right. builds up to especially when there's a piece on earth tag to it, there's effectively three finales in that show. And it all kind of has like a three or four minute segment that just kind of builds to a climax. And then there's, then there's the Valley again. And it really just kind of is, is so well paced or was so well paced that that's part of the appeal to it for me. And I don't necessarily have to understand every aspect of the minutia, what fireworks are we using, uh, how many pieces were in the orchestra, but I know that everything about it made sense together. I would love to make a wrestling reference right here, but I'm afraid you'd murder me if I did. No, go for it. Why not? But no, it, it, you can make it with wrestling. You can make it with concerts, every, anything. You know, the, the, in wrestling, they intentionally put in parts like, in their... Sh- I like how Ben's illustrative <laughs> mechanism to explain a bit of fine art is going to be wrestling. <laughs> well, in wrestling, you have you have the open of the show, then you have the middle of a card, and then you have the main event. And you can also do this with concerts, the way a, a yeah. show always starts hot, and, and then they bring it down in the middle to make the end more impactful. Wrestling right. has right. Wrestling has matches that they intentionally put on before the main event that is intended to bring the crowd down, to settle down the show. So when that main part goes on at the very end it hits you in the face and it's ins- insanely impactful and illuminations that's what that middle section is you go you start it hot you start it awesome and then it brings the crowd down and then goes into its final section and that that we love and and i don't know if they've ever had a show that has done that better than what illuminations did i yeah, I, I, agree. I i agree with everything that both of you said and i also agree with the people who are unimpressed with that middle part mm-hmm because I think there is a difference between using your attention to tone you down and losing your attention. And I, I agree. And, I, and, and I, again, I, I really think that the key to Epcot, this is just my own sort of thesis here, is the scale. And I, I've said it a few times. I'm going to say yeah. it again. Disney has done things in the past where they've created things that are so big that it harmed Epcot because it destroyed the scale. The yeah. wand over Spaceship Earth being the, the the key example of that. They created something that made Spaceship Earth seem diminutive, which was problematic. The big blue building. 
it's the big blue building. It's another one. And I think the sky, the the sky, it's also (laughs) trees. It's a a sky simulator. (laughs) I also think that I think that the earth globe was a very overrated piece of show equipment. And back when it was relatively new, there was a lot of publicity surrounding mm-hmm. how complex it was and how it's the most expensive piece of equipment they ever built, the biggest thing, the heaviest thing. But the fact of the matter is the scale was always wrong. Yep, because yep, you've got spatial therp over there, you've got this tiny little thing, and it just it it was so it was so disconnected from the impact that the music that was playing at the time suggested that you were supposed to be feeling that it always was just sort of cognitively dissonant for me. It was it was it was not a it was not a good controlled letdown i I would say that it was something that i understand the the musical implications of that section uh i think the technology usage in that section should have been updated at some point in the 19 year run of the show see i don't know do you guys remember the first version of illuminations that used the globe that was just shiny and they shined lasers on it uh, not obviously anywhere near as vividly, but I, I definitely saw. Yeah. Okay. Cause I remember that. And to this day, I thought that was the most awesome thing in the world. When they were okay. projecting an image on that thing, it was a simple line image of continents. As I recall, maybe other things too. Um, Wasn't there horses or something in there? Uh, I could there's be. I don't, on, there's horses on illuminations. Well, they, they did. Okay, yeah, I, I, I something vaguely remember sticking in my mind that the laser of a horse, and then it did transition over to the video that that we saw, you know, towards the end. I, I I'm go, going back on what you were saying here. Sorry to interrupt. Keep going. No, no, that's fine. I mean, to, to me, <laughs> how dare you, Ben? To Damn me, it. that was a massive downgrade in the impact of that. Yeah, of that, and I'm sure this thing cost you know a, a boatload of money. Um, but it was my least favorite part, which is interesting to me because whenever, as I'm perusing the internet, and you know, there's that sort of middle ground of people who really like Epcot, but they're not Epcot nerds. Like they're the most annoying ones because they think they know yep. what's going on. Um, you know, they they, they they seem to love that Earth Globe, and I'm like, what are they look? Are they seeing the same show that I saw? I just don't know. I think that either it needed to be bigger or have less of a focus on it, and we've been cautiously pessimistic about harmonious but i think that the visuals in that will at least be easier to see that is (laughs) not 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 that that should be can you imagine the headline (laughs) harmonious easy to see (laughs) (laughs) um i I expect i expect harmonious to be visually more impressive than anything they've done at epcot and while i obviously have not even concerns at this point. I'm I'm against the use of uh, uh, Disney movie music in uh, a show at Epcot, but I think that at least visually that show should be the most superior of the Epcot shows that we've seen. So let's let's move away from Illuminations because we're nearing the 17 hour mark of this podcast <laughs> and move into October 1st, which I believe was the day that we all kind of had to to honor the 37th anniversary of Epcot, which is. Uh, I don't know what what are you getting thirty seven a sharpie I don't know I don't know what the uh, what's, what's the thirty seven anniversary I believe yeah in a, ro- in a row in a row what I'll explain later okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got an audience of two neither of which got that one, ben. there there are plenty of people that got that reference I guarantee it I will, are you talking okay. about people who are together and then broke up and they got back together so they've had mo- more anniversaries but they weren't oh all okay I, I, I'm I'm with you Ben I know exactly. You know what I'm going with, right? Okay. It took me a minute. Yes. Clerk's, <laughs> re- Clerk's reference. Yes. There oh. we go. 
37 dicks. That, I'm, I'm now <laughs> in a row. Did I get it now? <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. These it jokes was Trish are always better. Right? Trish, no, that was small rats. <laughs> oh, okay. damn it. Sorry. Oh, well. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Doctor. Anyway, uh, 2018 be like, I'm 36. <laughs> so fast forward to October 1st and, uh, uh, Josh and Gary, the intention was for them to not meet at Animal Kingdom, and they succeeded in that. Uh, that actually, was not my fault. <laughs> I uh, I got evac from Flight of Passage that day, which was fun. Second time I've seen backstage there when uh, Hopkins and I inadvertently uh, went backstage on opening day. Um, anyway. Banned. We met over at Epcot, uh, I don't know, probably around the same time, four-ish. And we had a big group with us, which was uh, which is cool to hang around with. I found out actually as soon as I met with uh, let's see the, the large group of Ken, John, uh, Gary. What's your name for him, uh, Ben? Two legs. Yeah, no, Gary. Two legs. Right. Two legs. <laughs> yeah, Gary. No, he's right. Gary. Two, two legs. legs. We had there Gary. Two legs and Gary. No legs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when we had that group, uh, we kind of did a few things and. Uh, ultimately, I just said, I don't like you guys and I'm leaving. And really what it was, I just wanted to go uh, get a spot for Epcot forever. But uh, we had the good fortune to go up to uh, the Illuminations Lounge. And I know, Ben, you've done that. Uh, but Josh, what was your take on uh, the Illuminations Lounge? Uh, Illuminations Lounge. Imagination Lounge, sorry. DVC Lounge, yeah. baby. DVC Lounge. <laughs> Boy, that's a tough one for me, honestly. That's not a question I've thought about. I was very happy to be able to go up there legitimately. I'll say yep. that. Um, so that was cool. Tremendous views of the park, and I really enjoyed that. I, I'd be lying if I said that it didn't make me sad. Um, it, it's sort of the the bad side of nostalgia is that it reminds you in some instances of how much better things used to be. Um, yeah. And that pavilion in particular has been <laughs> not treated well by the company, let's say. I mean, that used to really be probably second to horizons, one of the most fundamental anchor future world pavilions. And it's certainly not now. And, you know, to see it be a, uh, you know, essentially a a bastion of people with, uh, with surplus funds. Careful, uh, careful, careful. Well, you were, I know you were very early on, (laughs) Uh, you know, but it it is not the egalitarian. It's there's some irony. Imagination is sort of the one thing that we all have. It was the one thing that, you know, it was the one pavilion you could go into and whether you were, uh, you know, rich or poor or white or black, tall or short, skinny or fat, it didn't matter. This was this, the, the empowering thing about that ride and that a pavilion is it was based on this thing that we've all got inside of us. Um, and now it's an exclusive club that you can't get up to unless you write them a yep. big fat check. So yep. th- there was that. And I'm, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a corporate lawyer. I'm probably, you know, uh, pretty far on the douchebag spectrum as far as most people are concerned true but but <laughs> oh now you agree with me on something uh, but you know it it there was just that so is it a is what it represents now sort of shallow compared to what it used to be yes uh was it awesome to be able to go up there yes and to correct the douchebag uh or to comment on my douchebag comment um you know I didn't see anyone misbehaving up there. It was the graciousness of, of a fan of the show that, that brought us up there. So, I mean, it's not to say that people who own DVCs suck. That's not my point. My point is just that it's a little bit of a shame that there are probably people 
little kids included, who would love to just be able to look out those windows and get those awesome views of the park, yeah. uh, who can't because their parents weren't in a position to make this, you know, very large purchase. So um, it's a little bit disappointing to me, even as someone who is a pretty staunch supporter of corporations' right to build their own wealth. I've got to cut. I got to talk to my DVC contact about keeping some of you peasants out of our area. <laughs> were you th- were you there for the uh, snack cart though? I don't think we got no. snacks. We got drinks. We got uh-huh. drinks. Yeah, no snacks. Sorry, suckers. <laughs> uh, speaking of pheasants, so there was a, uh, a bird that <laughs> managed wow. to crap upside down here. You like that transition? Segway, Tim. <laughs> The uh, the way that the um, pyramids are set up, there is one that is, I think, a couple of panels that are angled in the opposite direction. And we saw bird crap on the underside of that, presumably. At least that's the story we're telling. So uh, It does say the gravity was suspended for some <laughs> yes. but see, so, sometime between 1982 and when we were there, <laughs> gravity was because this bird managed to shit uphill. Use your imagination. <laughs> I think it was probably very close to the scene in the current ride that's upside down. That's the only explanation I can give myself. Let's see. With the Ikea table bolted to the desk. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> At least there's a hidden Mickey on it. That table, actually, they took down and brought it over to uh, uh, Galaxy's Edge uh, over at Ronto Roasters. They're using <laughs> it there. So the other thing we did that day... <laughs> just as good as Ben's joke. Uh, the other hey. thing, <laughs> I could explain it and make it uh, be, be a, a blue <laughs> no. Well, it's funny you say that because <laughs> I, I actually am going to do a segue here. Before we talk about Epcot Forever, I, I was listening to the last Jim Hill podcast, and he was talking about how Disney's going to be releasing some publicity to explain the ponderous choice to include Aladdin in there and why that thematically uh, correct and let's, i was let's save that because i've got some explanations here but okay well. but, my, but, my, but my first thought was that doing that is basically like a stand-up comedian like dropping a bomb of a joke and then interrupting a set to explain to the audience why they should have laughed i'm like tim tim if, never if that, did that <laughs> i could totally see tim doing that I actually, kind of, <laughs> so, so I, I actually kind of like that approach to humor if you've like if you're over-explaining a joke, much in the same way that Josh over-explained how wind works. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to quiz you on wind, motherfucker, and you're probably going to get like a D or an F. I can't, I can't wait. Anyway, so uh, something else we looked at. At least Tim's, uh, Josh's explanation got a reaction out of us. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. The, the other thing we looked at uh, that day before we get into Epcot forever was over at the Odyssey, we yep. uh, had the opening of the Epcot Experience Center. Uh, my comment was, uh, was full of bloggers. Everybody who's nobody was there. <laughs> one of one of Corliss's buddies got very close with Gary. But looking at this, uh, Josh, what were your what were your views on on just this entire setup? Okay, so I want to break this into two parts: the okay. content of the presentation and the quality of the presentation. I'm going to start okay. with a positive. I thought the quality of the presentation was incredible. Um, it is by far the best Circle Vision presentation I've ever seen. Um, the Epcot model that they have in the middle is not only awesome to look at, but put to good use in the presentation. It was like they literally put some effort into telling a compelling story. Uh, shocking. This, Audio was, visually, this was better than anything at a D23 Expo, DCI, Blue, uh, DCA's Blue Sky Cellar, anything else I can think of. Really, really good. Like, I, it looks like no, no expense spared. A great use of that space. It was great to be back in the Odyssey for something that had something to do with Epcot. 
mm-hmm. um, on the outside of the Circle Vision Theater, which was set up in the middle of the Odyssey. For those of you who can picture that, um, they had attraction posters for and sort of new renditions of old attraction posters for past, past attractions, present ones, and even ones that aren't open yet, uh, including that new architectural, the unnamed pavilion that they're going to build. Really, really good. I thought the presentation just second to none. I mean, this is how you move an audience. Yeah. Now, let me transition to the content. <laughs> it is what we've been waiting for. You know, for the past decade, we started wondering if the company had a vision for Epcot. Then we transitioned a few years ago into this period of time where the company kept telling us that they did. They kept promising, you know, we care about this park. We care about the roots of Epcot. We care about its history, and that's part of its future. But they were very vague about what it was that their vision for Epcot was. And this presentation at the Odyssey, and I would say Epcot Forever as well, tells us. And for me, someone who loves science and technology, someone who's really moved by Future World, it's disappointing because it's not the future for Epcot that I really wanted. But I'm glad to know that at least they have a direction that they're taking the park. It's not the one that I want. Um, I don't doubt that I'll still go there. It will always hold a special place to me. But the future of Epcot looks like it's going to be a cool travel destination to me as opposed to a place that is uh, inspiring and moving to me. And that's, that's a disappointment because I can get that level of fantasy and character at lots of other Disney parks. This was the one place that had something that was unique, and differentiated and that's essentially being stripped away and replaced with with movie based ip so the areas of concern for me were spaceship earth we had uh, lanterns from tangled which again not exactly indicative that it's going to be an ip fest but yeah that combined with people seeing the moana uh, manta in the concept art that they showed at D23 at least has some, some reason for caution with the spaceship earth update. And I think the overall tone, I mean, why would they keep it in light of what they're doing to the rest of the park? It it would be out of place if they didn't, you know, it's just, it's, it's IP land now. That's just what it's going to be. There's some, there's some additional, I'm going to chalk all this up as rumor at this point. Uh, But Rumor or speculation, it sounds like Tom Fitzgerald is no longer heading the Epcot overhaul. Tom Fitzgerald uh, was, he was the beach boy in Horizons, but is a longtime Imagineer and would get a uh, negative, get some negative press for uh, relying heavily on screens. But one thing that I read recently, and again, don't know if it's true or not, was that he was very much against the idea of Guardians of the Galaxy going into Epcot, but lost that fight. And it's possible that they went with a direction that he disagreed with. And I know that Imagineers, especially those that do have some clout like Tom Fitzgerald, will fight creative decisions. But ultimately, if the corporate mandate is so aggressive that uh, their their hands are tied, they just kind of have to make do. And it sounds like a recent example of this was Avatar and Animal Kingdom, where Joe Rohde was very much against that project. But then as the project moved forward, he got to do it his way and ultimately tied it into that park pretty darn well. So I don't know who the creative lead is for uh, for this Epcot overhaul. The uh, names that I've seen, and I don't know if they're in charge of it or just kind of 
involved in it in some way are uh, Zach Ridley, who I know nothing about, and Michael Hungeon. But if anybody knows who the creative lead is on the Epcot project, I'd at least like to have a name to uh, to either praise or blame when, when all is said and done. As for the presentation itself, I agree with everything Josh said. It was very well executed. The uh, the map in the center, or sorry, the model in the center was digitally mapped as each different presentation came into play. So it wasn't just the 360 around you. You also had this, I think it was a 14-foot model in the center that interacted with what was going on. Yeah, it, yep. was, it was all very well and good. Um, but until uh, until these things are built, we're going to have a level of caution because the one thing we thought was a... Uh, uh, kind of bone thrown to those classic Epcot fans was Epcot Forever, and yeah, let's so let's let's, let's dive into this now. Uh, I know this is probably why a lot of people are listening to uh, hear Josh and my firsthand accounts of Epcot <sighs> Forever the first time around. So, uh, Josh, why don't you why don't you kick it off? Okay, so this show is a big part of why I came down. I mm-hmm. was very excited about it. This was not the Skyliner where I thought it was going to suck and was pleasantly surprised. This is something I thought was going to be good and was, I don't want to say devastated. Let's not virtue signal here. Uh, I'm a human being. This is a small part nope. of my Anybody life. Anybody says that they <laughs> like that they're stupid. I hate them. And this no, is it, my sister as well as friends and listeners. No, don't get me wrong. It sucks. I'm just saying that I coped. <laughs> Josh, you quit podcasting for about 12 hours. I did. Well, I did not quit. I So <laughs> yeah. I went from Epcot forever to this. And afterward, I, I seriously considered whether or not I had anything left to offer other than activity. And, and that is the truth. And I, I guess I've, I'm not sure I've changed my mind. I've just sort of come to terms with what I saw, but, but let's, let's get into it rather than Let, let's go. Let's, let's before we go like super analytical. Cause I know that that's what we do here. Have you heard my what, segment on wind? Yes. <laughs> what was your, what was your immediate response following the show uh what the fuck was that what a piece of garbage this sucks these people should be fired this was my tweet i just looked it up what in the actual hell (laughs) that's actually remarkably close to mine that felt like someone made an epcot tribute show that never went to epcot before 1998 yes i think that's that's good so I, i said that and actually earlier today and because I looked up, that was my first reaction earlier today. I said something to the effect of it's as if the people that assembled, assembled the show never went to Epcot prior to 98. And those that assembled the preview clips of the show were going since 1982. Yeah. The preview so. was great. The marketing. Yeah. Uh, apparently I've learned from Epcot, especially in the last few years that I'm a sucker for a nice font. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Who knew>? yes. <laughs> uh, but, by the way, have you ever returned that shirt that you bought? No, I kept it. <laughs> I actually use it at the bottom of my litter box now for Mr. Pickles. <laughs> Josh bought an Epcot Forever shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Why they were hot before the show. Yeah. Very proud of that purchase. That was the before God. times as we dubbed them. Yeah. B-E-C. Yes. So let, let, to, just to get into it, um, I'm, I'm going to start with the general and we'll sort of funnel into the specific. Okay. Um, I, I sort of went out of my way earlier to describe what I liked about Illuminations because I wanted it to be the backdrop against which I compare this show. I don't know that that's entirely fair because this was always an interim show. We knew that it was going to be pared down, but continue. Okay. I I think it's fair because I think that the failing, the failings of it are not things that are necessarily driven by the fact that it's an interim show. One being the scale of the pyro. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to bust your chops on this because I think that a good friend was one who stabs you in the face instead of in the back. 
Um, okay. and I, and I, on a kingdom cast, I made a comment about you that I'm going to address. Go for um, it. but I honestly have no idea what you're talking about, but I'll tell whatever. After, after the show ended, Tim came up, uh, and said, you know, what do you think? And I told him how much I thought it sucked. And he said, well, the fireworks were okay. And my response was, no, they were not. They were anemic and pathetic. And I think Tim, and Tim's response basically was, well, it's hard to do big scale fireworks in this park to which I replied, they did it last night. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, how to launch an impressive pyro display in that park is a solved problem because they've been doing it for exactly 37 years in one day as of the day, as of the moment that they debuted this show, this show is completely underwhelming from a fireworks perspective. So that's, I'm, that's I'm, I'm going, I'm going to, you're, you're putting me in a position where I have to defend Epcot forever. So screw you for that. But yes. as you said, I have studied debate <laughs> uh, to, to your point, the scale of fireworks in Epcot from just like the size of the fireworks is smaller than in other parks. Is, is that a incorrect statement? I think that's probably true. Okay. But it's so, never, it, it's true. And if you measure it based on, you know, explosive force, boom, but it's not true if you base it on impact. Okay. So uh, I agree that Illuminations was a very successful fireworks show in Epcot. Uh, we've established that. I also would say though, that there aren't, huge fireworks in that show either there weren't huge fireworks in that show either the fireworks on that show were were a order of magnitude larger than what was in epcot forever most of the finale fireworks for that show were were not things that exploded it was just kind of a flurry of light uh and then very I'd say medium sized fireworks all at once is kind of how that show ends. Whereas and yeah. a, a fireworks show, like, and again, I'm by no means a fireworks expert. I was actually standing with a guy that participated in contests uh, during the, during the wait for Epcot forever. And he was saying that actually, if you believe it, the, and I don't know, this is a single source, the budget for illuminations on a nightly basis towards the end was, was 13 grand, which seemed remarkably light for fireworks. Yeah. But the, anyway, the finale of Epcot forever was a basically like having an orgasm and having your mom walk in right in the middle of it. That's about how fulfilling it was. It was, okay. it was, it did not give that uh, finishing compliment that we were all looking for. So, so to the commentary on the fireworks uh, scope and scale, I'm going to plead ignorance on it because I, I don't definitively know with any level of expertise how the but, fireworks were. But you know what they did during Illuminations. I, I'm aware of what they did during Illuminations, and I was expecting this to be a fireworks-heavy show. Yeah, my my objections were not with the fireworks themselves. My objections were with the audio. Well, I started with my minor, my most minor nitpick, which was okay. the fireworks. But even that, I think, was when you have a fireworks show and the fireworks suck, you're not <laughs> off to a good start. That's okay. Fair point. I, I mean, I mean, if the fireworks suck and you have a great soundtrack, it helps for sure. Uh, but they didn't have that. But I, I agree with you. The biggest complaint here, uh, again, it's an unforced error because I showed up there on mm -hmm. October 1st ready to be pandered to. Yep. All right. My honest expectation was that the real sad day for me was going to be in seven months when they did away with Epcot forever and they introduced Harmonious. That was yep. my true expectation. And the thing about pandering is the reason that it's sort of looked down upon as being, you know, not very valuable is because it's easy to do. <laughs> you know, you're just giving lip service to by 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 telling people what they want to hear. And the reason that that's not considered to be valuable 
What the fuck? <laughs> He's playing a whole new world. <laughs> On apparently a like 1987 tape recorder. Sorry, sorry, my bad. Get, get oh my back God. to the review. I'd rather where's Wakefield's vacuum. <laughs> so, so you mentioned the fireworks. You, I, I didn't view the fireworks as a problem. Okay. I, I didn't. They, they were not what my takeaway problem was. No. Let's look at some of the other technical aspects of it. I assume you enjoyed the kites. I thought the kites were good. They were they were neat. And when they first sort of came from stage left into my field of view, I was like, whoa, that's really cool. Yeah. And I, I have some concerns about their longevity for a seven-month program. It's not a big deal. I know they, they dunked one in the water on night one. I have no idea if that <laughs> means the thing's ruined or if that's not a big deal. I have no clue. Um, I don't really care. But just from, for, just from the perspective of an audience viewer, that was by far, I, I don't think anyone would really argue with the fact that that is the highlight of that show. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two distinct flavors of kites, if you will. There's ones that are illuminated with LEDs, which mm-hmm. are really awesome. I mean, they do a good job of uh, taking advantage of the space that the show is being played out in, which is one of the things I care a lot about. Uh, and then they have sort of pyro kites that have, I really don't know what they are. I also am know very little about fireworks, but they are, they're ignited in some way, shape, or form, yeah. and they they are very cool as well. So that element of the show, A plus to that. I think it's operational, probably pretty challenging. They've got a bunch of jet skis out there. It's dark, it, it, but the payoff is worth it. That, that is uh, one thing I can be positive about with the show. I wouldn't be surprised at the uh, kites dunking at the end if that might just be the way that they end their run. They like the, the lights go out and they just end in the lake and they can get them later on. Because, Maybe I have. No I mean, clue. I, I have. I have no idea. But there were either four or five, if I remember correctly, jet skis in the first run of kites. Uh, this was far and away the best part of the show. No doubt. The it's it's a section that went from Tapestry of Nations, which we use as our outro music here, uh, to Golden Dreams from American Adventure, and uh, then Celebrate the Future, which is a portion of Tapestry of Nations, but also had its own song. As the show was going on. Uh, the first part, I kind of got what they were doing. I didn't like the execution of it. And I mean, I By wouldn't like, say that. Kudos to me. Yep. Go back one episode. And I said, the show is going to be made or broken by the transitions between the right. songs. And holy shit, did they screw that up? So, so that was the, that was the issue with the first part where yep. they were jumping too quickly. They wanted to hit anything and everything. And Just I understand that nonsense. And honestly, if that was the show, uh, we would have said, all right, we were right. Uh, <laughs> good for you. You tried. And it was, it, it was a one and done thing, but at least we wouldn't have been vehemently angry about it. But that was not the show. <laughs> that was not the show. So, so as it was going through, there was two things in that first part that hit me, that pissed me off. Uh, and again, I was with uh, listener, Joe, I looked at it and there was some specific audio that really caused me to roll my eyes and look back uh, at him, which was the five-year-old narrator, the five-year-old narrator. It was a general thing, but there was specific lines. It was welcome to the future, or should I say your future, which is from the current version of spaceship earth. Right. And then another one was imagination works best when it's set free, which is from the current version of imagination. Right. And way to not pander to the, to the people <laughs> right. Like, right. You, so like you cannot, you want to appeal to traditional Epcot fans by referencing <laughs> the current version of imagination. Like yep. give me a hit off of that crack rock because you are not talking to the same people that I am. 
And so in the uh, interest of full disclosure, I, I've already put mine out there, but Josh is working on the uh, uh, the Sultan of Saki director's cut for this as well, where he's moving the audio around. One thing I know you pointedly said was you weren't a fan of veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit either. Uh, nope. That's a that's a grassy family favorite because my brother loves it. Uh, but I certainly get that this was not exactly a uh, uh, it's very catchy. I, I get it from the standpoint that it, it's such a unique thing. Yeah. That, you know, it's not a song you, you're like, where'd I hear that? You know, so I get that. And I have friends who are like sort of more casual, let's call them normal fans of Disney World. Yep. And, and uh, she was actually the hottest chick in my high school. Just for, for <laughs> Sidebar. <laughs> yeah, sidebar. And I, I met up with her. So I heard her husband at the parks <laughs> a few years back. And, you know, she's gone. I miss the old Epcot. She started singing Veggie, Veggie, Fruit, Fruit. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> I, I get it. Like, that's that's a song that's going to stick in your brain as being very unique to that park. But it doesn't have that, you know, dramatic, large scale no. sort of impact that a lot of those other Future World songs did. But it, it used it as a lighthearted moment. And yeah, and I'm fine with that. I, I, I get that. And I actually in, in my uh, director's cut, I I kept part of that in. I, I eliminated part of it, but kept the cha-cha-cha portion in there to just kind of keep it. And yeah. I don't know definitively what the best execution was to kind of get the most attractions in. I think uh, one See, I possible... Think I- uh, can I, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. And I know the show's running long. I think that that you just said something that, that made an assumption. And the assumption is that the way to do the show correctly is to get the most attractions in. And, and I don't think that it is. Uh, as I said before, I think Epcot is an experience park. And I think mm-hmm. that what they should have tried, if, if you wanted to pander to me anyway, this I could speak to definitively. How do you want to make me happy? <laughs> Capture you know, and think about what the open, what the early '80s advertising campaign was for Epcot. Is that you know a new dawn? You know, it was about this experience. It was about this overall feeling. Mm-hmm. Convey that. You know, the entrance music from Epcot was very, very, very notable. Um, a lot of the area music and the background music was very, very memorable and very, very unique to Epcot. You know, you pepper a couple of classic attractions in with that. It's the easiest thing in the world to do to make people happy. Um, I didn't did interrupt you. I'm part. sorry, but no, no, they they did that in part, and that's kind of where I was going. Where they would jump from attraction to attraction with kind of lines that were sung by either an adult chorus or a child chorus, and part of that was what we described as jarring, where uh, the mixture of children with Walt with an adult chorus was kind of jumping all over the place. But I, I kind of, I at least got what they were going for. But as the show progressed, I thought the first part. All right, I, I get what you're doing. Uh, and then as it led into uh, Tapestry of Nations and Golden Dreams, the kites and everything like that, I said, all right, there is hope for this show. Like as it, it was kind of a roller coaster ride at the beginning as well. We're like, all right, it's a slow beginning. I wasn't totally a fan of it, but they can save it with a strong middle and end to the show. Right. I agree and, with that. And I think that had they had they done the snippets at the beginning to kind of get all that fan service out of the way and then as josh just suggested pick a couple of iconic things to to cap off the show with that's where i thought they were heading and as the kites were flying around i thought all right this this has a chance to be a very solid interim show and then it takes a left turn yep and so one of the things i want to say here is people are saying the the finale uh, shouldn't ruin it. And I want to go through some of the positive opinions here so we can at least say uh, that we we kind of service both sides. Fair so, and balanced. Yes, yes, fair and balanced. My sister, 
I loved the old music in it. Kites were cool. Lots My of sister. fireworks. Yes. I would think anyone who isn't a diehard fan wouldn't understand. But then she also followed that up with, wish there was more of the songs, longer, more authentic clips, not remixed. I agree with that. A friend of mine uh, said, I think you watched it a day or two later. Before you record a super fiery hot take about Epcot forever, I think you should reconsider your opinion. Everyone in my family thought it was awesome and the entire park seemed to agree. I believe I told him I hate him and I thought he should die. The entire park seemed to agree. Yeah. What does that mean? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on that because that they did there was, riot and burn Spaceship Earth to the ground. There was applause after the show. And I think uh, the explanation for that is the people that didn't like it were confused. They were legitimately confused and didn't know how to react. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, that's fair. I likened it to the D23 Expo when they brought out the fucking target dog. Like, why is this here? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, like I don't I don't know enough to boo because I'm just right. baffled I by what, what I'm seeing right now. Right. So anyway, so, What's happening? so he so he continues, though. This is a friend of mine. Uh, I'll give him a shout out, Eric. Uh, if you only if your only complaint is the music, then it was a good show. And my response that to that was at all. That's ridiculous. The, the music is so incredibly important. Yeah. And I, I, I said, he said the kites were fucking awesome. It's like dying in an airplane accident <laughs> being like, my only complaint is if your only complaint is the fire, then you're being overly. I, so, I will. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, I've been able to watch it through YouTube and best way to see a firework show. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's, it's super a, well to a small screen. Did you watch it on your on your iWatch? That was your <laughs> Apple Watch. That's the best. I did watch it on a uh, phone, so that helps me. Uh, so I, that's why I'm not chiming in too much on here. But to be honest, it, it's just not fair for me to make that assessment in, in any way. But based on just you know the way I experienced it, I got to say I I'm not too far off with what Eric Two Legs uh, said there, and. <laughs> It's scary two legs, but okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, my bad. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, but the, leading up to the point that y'all are about to get into, everything I saw before that point, honestly, was kind of on par with what I think I maybe expected that yeah. this was going to be. Uh, I wasn't, and, and we've talked about this in the past, I'm not the Epcot diehard like the two of you are, so I was not really offended by anything that I saw in that first, uh, you know, three fourths of that show, but getting into the point, getting into the point that you're going to get into, I was it left with a very, very bad taste in my mouth. So I want to give uh, I've kind of shitting on my friend here, but he had an excellent point. And I think this cannot go uh, unstated. I don't quite know how a show could accomplish saying goodbye to old Epcot any better than simply being illuminations. And I think that's an excellent. Wow. Mind blown. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, there's your answer. What they should have made is a five-minute tag to Illuminations yes. that yep. had, uh, you know, some classic m- music in it, and that probably would have been a more tasteful way to do it. And it'd been cheaper. I don't so think what, they. Uh, had whoever these friend is of Tim. Yeah, that's a that's a home run idea. I th- I think you nailed it. I don't know that infrastructure-wise they could have done that, but I I think the the sentiment is absolutely there, and this this is effectively hopefully. Uh, just a blip on the fireworks radar for Epcot. But I want to, we want to go into now the part that we just hated and I'm going to call it. I call it. It's, it's, it's the, it's like, it's the moment in the show. Like if you ask anyone, when, when did they lose you completely? The, this is the WTF moment of that show. I mean, I was filming (laughs) and out of my peripheral, I see Carrie turn and look at me like, what the fuck are they doing here? And I'm like, Oh, so I'm making, 
Go ahead. There was there was a good transition into a whole new world. That is the best I can say about that segment. That they went from one little spark to a whole new world, but then they continued with a whole new world for two minutes. And uh, <laughs> I made I made a joke because the October eighth performance was canceled due to technical difficulties. Uh, I I tweeted out allegedly some kids hacked the audio track and working over the entire show to add insult to injury. They also replaced the finale with a whole new world from Aladdin. <laughs> uh, I mean that that's as if what was happening. They were the tr- here's what the transition should have been: the sound of a record player needle scratching across the record <laughs> <laughs> because that's basically what happens in your brain. But like, they were they're they paying. They're paying homage to the uh, VR Aladdin flying carpet attraction. That was. Is this what Jim Hill said? Because I honestly, yeah, I, yeah. I so couldn't say. Let's get into this. Yeah. The, explanation, <laughs> the explanation for Jim and Len, and these are the messengers here. <laughs> Len gave it a B plus, and I'll go into that in a second. Uh, the explanation for Jim and Len is that Aladdin fits in Epcot because of an interventions attraction called Disney Vision Adventure that I believe ultimately, ultimately moved over to Disney Quest. Yep. Uh, so this is, uh, Ben, did you ever experience this? I did. Okay. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This this attraction, not exactly a, a people mover type attraction. No, it was more of a demonstration. It okay. became an attraction when it went to Disney Quest. Okay. But when it was at Epcot, it was an, a, a quote-unquote Imagineer showing the technology of, of virtual reality, essentially, and using Aladdin as the backdrop. To say that this is a horseshit defense is an understatement. Here's some facts for you. Reportedly, this attraction in its run in Epcot in 1994 uh, saw only 45,000 guests experience it in the attraction. <laughs> By comparison, Spaceship Earth does that on a weekend. Yeah. Further comparison, there were reportedly 57,000 guests in attendance for the final Illuminations performance. If you were to come up with a list of 500 choices for tributes to Epcot to be used as a final two minutes of the show, wouldn't Aladdin the wouldn't have cracked it, would yeah. not be on the list. Yeah. So it is purely a bullshit well, well what, I, what does the Princess Jasmine meet and greet get though? <laughs> so I want to comment on the on the uh, the, the Len thing or the yeah, the Jim and Len thing. Yep, they are the messengers too. So yes, I, uh, I don't wanna... they are the messengers. This is not Jim and Len trying to defend it. They are just yeah. They and they I, were criticizing this as well. I think Len was at least fair from the standpoint that I agree with what he objected to. I don't agree with his grade at all. Uh, that was not a B plus in my opinion. That was a yep. D. But in any event, the problem is that even if we assume that everything that they said was correct, yep. it doesn't change the fact that they sent the wrong message. Right. Yeah. You know, and the uh, off air, I made the joke that it's like a stand up comedian bombing on stage and then interrupting the set to explain why the joke was actually funny. It's like if, if you're, I mean, if you ask what the skill set that Walt Disney Imagineering has, it's storytelling. Right. So if the story that you told me is so impenetrable that you have to come back later and explain to me why it didn't seem to be as insane and disconnected and tone deaf as it seemed to everybody there to be, then you failed. So I, I, I think that D- Disney should have just shut up, honestly, and, and stop trying to explain Don't it. Don't say anything. Just let it go. Let uh, it go away. When, yeah. Oh, they should have used let it go at the end. Oh, That's geez. what other people said. At least that would have been a little more relevant for coming up. With- <laughs> yeah. That probably would have cracked the top 500 Epcot choices because at least it's in the park. Now, yeah. It doesn't belong I mean, in the park. But- at least people would understand. And at least then you'd say, okay, <laughs> so this is a – this. they are telling me a story. They started in the past, and they're telling me what the future yeah. is i would get that but what the what? It, it just <laughs> it is honestly and i i've never said this before on any podcast i've always generally been someone who defends decisions as being explainable by some information that i don't have 
I, yeah. I'm pretty good about that. I think I'm fair, but I want to be clear here. Whoever is responsible for Epcot Forever should be fired. I really believe that they are terrible at their job. We uh, Unless, put up together. I, I'm interrupting. I'm sorry. There's one explanation for Epcot Forever that would make it okay, which is that it was that it is bad on purpose to yeah, be the, we, to be the fireworks sorbet so that harmonious seems good. And we talked about that being a possibility. Yep. Uh, of them just not putting much time and effort into this, and it and it, and it. No, 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 no. You couldn't accidentally create something this bad. This. Is bad on purpose. <laughs> so there's there's two there's two things in here. Uh, uh, Martin Smith, I I reached out to him after the fact and said, "Look, you needed to warn people about this. You knew this information. Yeah. <laughs> you owed it to the fan community." He said, "How and, dare you?" <laughs> and uh, and he he uh, said to me, and I don't know if this should be public, but whatever. Uh, he, he said, uh, "Surprisingly, I thought it sounded fitting. Wrong show, but sounded okay." That was his comment on that. But then today, uh, publicly, he put it out there. He said, believe uh, the PR all you want. Uh, They're trying to defect the mountain of criticism they knew was coming. So apparently hmm. they knew that this show was not going to be well received by fans. And I don't know who it was for then. I really don't. No, that's, that's, that is the most relevant question. Who is it for? It isn't for people who want Ipcot. It was it couldn't possibly have been for us. So mm -hmm. who was it for? And the only group I can identify is it was for them. It had and, to have been for the company because it sure as fuck was not for us. So I, uh, this was him saying uh, that they knew a mountain of criticism was coming. This was on the heels of my saying that they publicly said, this is a love letter to Epcot. So that goes back to this. Dear was Epcot, I love you. P.S. I'm banging your sister. <laughs> This is they basically marketed this as such that it, this is going to be fan service, and it was going to be the fan service ahead of what was very like what is very likely not going to be fan service. But uh, I expect, as I've said on here, Harmonious to be a technologically superior show to what they've done previously. I just anticipate that I won't like the music in it. Can uh, I really just unpack something you just said? What <laughs> shouldn't guest service literally be the only thing that they're trying to do? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So if they're not servicing the guests, who are they servicing? But this is the approach that has been taken where they will either neglect something or effectively abuse something to the point where we accept anything as a replacement. And yeah, well. that's that helps the transition. If you if you don't like the transition part, uh, if the transition itself is crappy, then whatever the replacement is, uh, is good. better by comparison. So yeah. this goes to just not recognizing Unless it was intentional, in which case, all right, fuck them. But the biggest complaint fans of Classic Epcot have is forced character integration. I think that's yep. probably fair. Yep. The show was supposed to be for those fans. So this is they couldn't have done a better job of trolling. I also looked up to see if Rick Ashley ever actually performed <laughs> at Epcot. That's that, awesome. If, if he had performed Holy at Epcot. Imagine if they literally Rickrolled every... That would have been great. At least then I'd have walked out with a smile going, all right, you, know, you got me. The 37-year 30 con. Way to play it. Uh, like, had, had he been there, like, had he done, you know, a summer concert series or something like that, and they used that as a defense, I would have laughed. I would have been pissed, but I would have laughed. Yeah, um, I agree. I didn't even laugh. <laughs> it was just sad. I did want to mention one thing. It was one of your friends that wrote that they didn't like the arrangements of the songs that they use. And I couldn't agree more. Yep. You know, and I get it. I suspect there's probably not a lot of high quality recordings of, you know, the original 
tracks for a lot of the stuff. Those speakers aren't great anyway. Nobody's going to know. And that was going to be my next sentence. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I I agree with you. You know, it's, it's not a super high fidelity show. Yeah. It's good to have good quality recordings, but if you're trying to appeal to nostalgia, um, you know, give me what I remember. Don't, don't, you know what I mean? I mean, they have that, they have that material. So it's weird because it's like on the one hand, they phoned this in and the other hand, they, they went to great effort to do something which diminished the impact of what they had. It's just like none of the decisions that they had to make in the production of the show make any sense to me. They just, I, in my opinion, they just did it completely wrong. This was just an absolute abject failure. You, you mentioned that like they may not have necessarily had source audio of anything. We were able to put together decent enough uh, audio, but uh, to, to the point of this being a transition show, I think we expected a smaller show. Uh, so I'm not really criticizing the scale, but if you're going to go to Abbey Road Studios with a full orchestra, maybe don't have a 14-year-old intern come up with a set list. And that's yeah. effectively what they did. And they, then they had a five-year-old do the narration. I mean, and, right. and again, it has to do with scale. I mean, you're talking about classic Epcot, a 37-year-old park. You're talking about its heyday, which was 15 years ago at, at the end of it. And you're having someone that was born in 2009, uh, you, you know, narrate it. Um, just, I, it's just a a train wreck of bad decision-making as we approach Japan trip report level of uh, show. I'm sure this conversation will continue and something that I had in my notes that I'm not even going to mention about just IP attractions in general. Why don't we touch upon what, uh, Josh and myself wanted to change about the show and the cuts that we did. Do you have notes on, on yours yet, Josh, as to the changes that you've made? I, I don't have written notes, but I'll tell you what my philosophy is. Okay, That's go for worth. it. I'm not. I mean, I have a, I have a, I have two problems. One is that I don't. I'm not a music expert, so I don't necessarily know what goes into a. Neither are the people that made song. it, so there's no real restriction there. <laughs> yeah, music is a weird thing because you sort of know something great when you hear it, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you have the skill to create it. So I, I find myself in that. In that situation, I think I'm qualified to be a critic of this show, but I don't necessarily consider myself qualified to make anything that's better, if that's fair. And I also lack a lot of the technical mastery to actually do great editing. But that said, my philosophy is kind of what I was alluding to earlier, which is that, look, Epcot is a pretty amazing place. When it was put on the earth in 1982, there was no place in the world that was like it. It was unique. And it had an aesthetic and it had a tone and most importantly in this conversation it had a soundtrack and there was a no matter what pavilion you're in or no matter what area you were in there was a certain something that connected all of that music it was all different but it had it created a, a similar kind of feeling which is that you were in some place special and that you were in some place that that had some sort of connection to the future. That's what I think about when I think about visiting Epcot as a young kid. So what I've done is I've got this very, very long playlist of Epcot music that I've collected <laughs> over the years. And, and I put it on play like while I'm cooking dinner and walking around the house. And when I hear a part that I think would be good in a fireworks show that really brings me back to that classic part of Epcot, I ask Alexa what the name of the song is. And then I make a little <laughs> note. And I've got a list of about 15 of those. And those are the things that I want to put together. But it's very time consuming. And I, I've been very busy lately, so I haven't been able to do it. And I'm not quick at it. But my idea is just, look, if what this thing is supposed to be is a respectful tribute to Epcot, 
then just make a respectful tribute to Epcot. That's that's literally my goal. I don't I don't feel like I need to have a frenetic manic, you know, you know, uh, reference to every single attraction that's ever been there. To me, that's not what's respectful about it. What's respectful? It's like giving. We joked about this being a eulogy to Epcot. But mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. A eulogy doesn't mean you, you know, you make a list of every single accomplishment. <laughs> it was a, let, let's uh, step back from that before you go further. It's a eulogy as if it was read by your postman, who <laughs> yeah, kind of knows you but not really knows uh, you. R- right, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, and that's all I'm trying to do is, you know, as someone who cares about this place, what would have made me go? You know, I'm grateful that it was here, and I, I wish it best in its next chapter. That's. That's all I'm trying to create. And in some ways, it's a big thing because the place does mean a lot to me. But I think I think there's a sincerity to what I'm trying to make that's lacking. And I know, Tim, you've quoted me several times, and I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat flattered that I was able to say something that seemed to resonate with you. But <laughs> when I look at Classic Magic Kingdom, for example, I think that charm is an attribute yeah. of attractions that's gone away. And I think that what this, what Epcot Forever lacked is sincerity. Um, it's very hard to watch that show and walk away believing that it was created by someone who appreciates the place the way you do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's reasonable for us as guests to hope that the Imagineers who are producing these things love it as much as we do. And what we all left there thinking that night, and I, I'm speaking for the masses here, which I don't have the right to do, but uh, to the extent that the 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 group was in line with my thinking, which based on the reaction I saw was not far off. <laughs> it, we just had a sense that here's all of us plebes that just pay to be here that love this place. And the people who are paying to create its future obviously don't care about it the way that we do. And that that's a disappointing feeling to have. And it's sort of the exact opposite of what you can imagine you know, opening day being where you feel like these people have worked so hard and put their hearts and minds and efforts into creating this magical world that you get to experience. It's just the opposite of that. It's just like, wow, how do I know more about this place than the people who are in charge? And that's, that's how I felt. I, uh, I looked at, I want to go back to Len Testa's B plus grade and yeah, that's there wrong. are there, <laughs> there. So let's say that the um, a whole new world finale didn't happen and everything was kind of consistent with the first and second part of the show. So you had the the positive area with the kites, the right. mediocre at best area. What would you have graded this show at? I know that that's kind of hatching now. It's a hard question, but okay. you know, again, I I don't want to repeat all okay. the long winded statement I just made. But because I don't feel like it was, I if it was, I I walked in expecting a tribute, and mm-hmm. I don't feel that it was one. So. Certainly, the grade goes up if you take the Aladdin part sure. out, uh, th- you know. But I think at best, at best, we're looking at an average, so, a, a C. Okay. So, uh, Ben, you're uh, are you familiar with like professionally grading sports cards, Ben? Yeah. Okay. So, like uh, one of the industry standards is Beckett, uh, and what they'll do is they'll take a sports card and they'll assess on a one to ten scale: edges, corners, surface, and centering. And if something uh, on if any one of those four is an outlier uh, on the negative side, nothing is going to score a full point as an overall grade for a card. So an example, I've got a card in front of me, centering eight and a half, edges eight, surface eight, corners five, and the overall card grades at a five and a half. I think because the finale of this show 
was such a negative here. I could say that that Tapestry Golden Dream Celebrate the Future section was an A+. But if the first part is a C and the finale is an F, the best I can grade the, grade this show out at is a D, a D minus on the, yeah. using that same principle. And I think there, I, I think you can make a case that if this show ended as strong as that middle section, that I would have happily given it a B plus grade and be more than satisfied that I went down there for the trip. And don't get me wrong, I'm absolutely thrilled that I went down and got to hang out with friends. But for for the purposes except of Josh. this show, except Aww. for Josh. But anyway, so so going to what I saw for for changes that can be made, um, I looked at that first section. I opposed the parallels of Walt and the kid, but also didn't want to interrupt the actual firework mechanism and the the flow of the show too much. So I made a few changes. I, I cited two lines that were out of place. The welcome to the future, or should I say your future section of the show. I cut that entirely and just replaced it with, if you can dream it, you can do it audio from Horizons. The other small change that I didn't really have to make was I put in the uh, actual Patrick Warburton audio of him saying Soren to Tower, we're ready for takeoff, as opposed to using the little girl. And the primary reason that I did that was because I could in the sense that like that was an easy enough thing to take out without really disrupting the audio of the show. Then there's like a, a medley of songs that had making memories, veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit, uh, imagination. Uh, and it included the line imagination works best when it's set free. Uh, I took the original journey into imagination that I had that had just the, the audio. Then I had the one that had the Dreamfinder narration, basically we're playing those on top of each other and just took the single line of, Oh, hello there. So glad you can come along. I am the Dreamfinder to get him in the show. And that effectively replaced a, you know, 15 second segment. So in terms of full audio that I've replaced outside of the finale, I've maybe replaced 30 to 35 seconds of audio in the first nine minutes of the show. And wow. I think I, I think I made it, significantly better it to toot my own horn there uh just by doing that see i started with a blank canvas that's part of <laughs> why this project might not ever get finished is that, <laughs> <Fair enough>. uh, <laughs> um but i think your approach is not bad i you know i just i, I think we nailed the, the irony of this 45 minute segment is that i think you said it best in the first 10 seconds which is that it's like the people that produced it weren't going there when we were right and right. and without that what are you left with? You know, it's it, like it's you can't have a person give the eulogy who's never who didn't know the person, and that and that's what we're at. So I got to uh, knock Martin down one more time. Oh. So uh, last thing from Martin posted earlier today. Remember, this was never meant to create emotion. It is a pure entertaining fireworks show. I. I I, I love Martin, but I had to call him out on that, and he I wasn't he entertained. Back, <laughs> he, he backtracked on it, but. Fireworks shows are absolutely intended to create emotion. And whether that emotion is preying up familiarity or whether it's creating new new emotions based on music that you hadn't heard before or visuals that you hadn't heard before or seen before. The the goal of any of these things is to create an emotional connection. That's what Disney does better than any company in the world. And they just missed the mark on this one. There's one other company that's given them a run for their money. Okay. You know, I, I and I'm not. Yes, <laughs> masters, but you know, I I am so glad as a hardcore capitalist that Universal exists because they they do put pressure on, on Disney, and I I hope that that continues. I, I 
and I'm I'm now Epcot Forever is what it is, right? They're not going to change it. It's not software. There's not going to be a service pack update. It's going to be this until it ends. So I, I'm looking to the future in the, in the true spirit of Epcot, and I hope that they can congeal that place together as a 300-acre uh, destination that is as impactful as it used to be. That's what I'm hoping for now. It's going to be different, and we just all have to accept that, but uh, hopefully it could still be great. I have a better finale option, and this goes back. This goes, this goes back to Pornhub and Brazzers. Oh, I know. I know how it ends. I've seen this. We've got we've got a two minute segment from pick your random porn clip and you tie it back to the making of me. Finish show. That's awesome. That's you a finish, happy ending. You finish on the Earth globe. Yes. Now you might get some in your eye. Do you know how wind works? <laughs> And you just have Dante yelling out 37 at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> On that note, if you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycall.gmail.com. Alternatively, if you have any criticisms, you can send them there as well. Uh, you can al- also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. Uh, we'd also appreciate our listeners using our Amazon affiliates link over on martycalled.com. If all 3.8 million of you do that, we can do the show <laughs> a lot longer. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything, but helps fund the show with purchases you were going to make anyway. Uh, ben, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Real Skipper Ben, and you can find my top 10 column in every issue of Attractions Magazine. Josh, is your website still up? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming in under a lot of legal fire. I've been, I've been, I've been submitting a lot of copyright uh, infringements. <laughs> it's, been, it's been fun. Utilitynoise.com <laughs> yeah, for me. And I'd also like to wish a happy birthday to all of our uh, listeners who have aged two years since the show started. <laughs> this might be longer than my Japan Trip Report episode of E-Ticket. This is a good one. I've, definitely the longest podcast I've ever been on. My birthday is this week, and I was 39 when the show started, and I'm officially 40 now. Congrats. <laughs> uh, I've actually got a uh, care package of Viagra sent your way. (laughs) Need it. Thank you. If you have an erection for more than four hours, be sure to tell everyone that you know. (laughs) I'll take pictures. pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday, Ben. Thank you. Look, the FBI is here.